0: Hello, multi. Internet. My name is spam as always, your host of Drink to the Past, the only podcast on the Internet where I forgot to update the ubiquitous opening monologue again. Uh, I think I used that joke the last time I forgot to update the ubiquitous opening monologue again, so uh, we, we already have to drink. And we have to drink because of something that happened in the pre-show. This is somewhat harsh, Um, so my Sean drinks something stupid this week is, um, I was like, I got logged on to discord with Chris and I was like, Oh crap. I forgot to make a cocktail this week. So I ran to the fridge to see what I had. And apparently my wife bought some kind of chai thing. So I dumped some in a glass with some whiskey because back in the day I used to drink chai spritzers, which was like basically that plus like some like uh sparkling water or something and i had some tonic water but i thought that would like screw up the flavor so i didn't do that but maybe i would do that next time because this is it's kind of spicy with just the straight chai pretty much and then the extra burn from the whiskey is just like look at me i'm gonna punch you all in the back of the throat And, of course, I am joined, as always, by my co-host and or guests, which this week we actually have the guy who designed the Cooler Drink to the Past logo, which I have shown on the podcast a handful of times. Uh, This is my brother, Dan. He's waving to you if you're on the audio version. And, uh, of course, my good old co-host, Chris.
1: Hi, I'm Chris. I swear I'm not actually that terrible at this game, Audette. Uh, Well, I mean...
2: He will I'm, dying,
1: I'm dying on the first level of dungeons that I've beaten in one try before, so... Nice. So that tells you anything.
0: <laughs> it tells me that you're terrible at this game, apparently. All I right, don't know. So, uh, it's the opposite of what I, I want
1: people to think.
0: Not exactly my favorite thing I've ever had. It's not awful. I like chai fine, so it's like... Okay, I feel like this is totally going to screw up my beer of the week, though. I have a really cool beer of the week. Um, so actually, on Sunday, I went out uh, to a very small, invite-only beer tasting that a buddy of mine had an extra seat reserved for uh, at Burns Family Artisan Ales. Um, and uh, the guy that, uh, is the head brewer there is a really cool dude and he's been he was telling us at the tasting that he's been like barrel aging beers since before it was cool uh back in the 80s he was doing different kinds of barrel aged beers before really anybody had really taken notice of that of, you know, of any important brewery, there was like a handful of breweries that would occasionally do it and stuff like that. So it was very interesting content and kind of learning about the history of barrel aging and uh, what's all been happening with that in the craft beer scene, which is kind of interesting because like now where I am, you know... It, Barrel-aged beers have got a large uptick in popularity recently, but, like, as long as I can remember, barrel-aged beers have been a thing because they've been a thing as long as I've been drinking because I am much younger than that guy. No offense to him. (laughs) He's a cool dude. But, uh, yeah, so this one is called The Thoughts of Winter, which is a barrel-aged white stout uh, barrel-aged in Chardonnay barrels. Uh, So... That's that's interesting. Um, stout is not normally quite this light, uh, so this is this is actually darker than the last white stout I had. Which I think, Chris, you were were you at my house the last time we had a white stout when I had that dragon's milk I stuff?
1: I cannot remember. Okay, I was probably at your, ha- the, your uh, house when yeah, we last so had a white was, stout. Yeah, so that
0: was how long that was ago. It was you know before there was all this pandemic and stuff.
3: Yeah. I was going to say, I think I was there because I remember us having a conversation about stouts and technically you can have a stout that it doesn't have to be dark even remotely. It refers hmm. to the alcohol content in the original context more than it does to the, uh, well, the burnt flavor. I like me, my burnt flavor. Give me my stout, but <laughs> i uh... drink
0: to that. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so I'm not, particularly fond of this chai thing it could use something else in it like maybe if i had like put this in a latte or something then that would have been good with the whiskey and the like an irish chai latte i wonder if they such.
3: have a chai kombucha because kombucha is just uh, fermented tea and so mm-hmm. if you fermented a chai tea and made a chai kombucha i wonder if that would be any good
0: hmm. could be um mm-hmm. We had some, me and my wife had some hard kombucha the other day when we went to the liquor store and April had heard about it and asked the guy and he said, we have this kind. We don't have the kind because she had heard of one called kombucha, which is a good play on words there. Uh, (laughs) But he was like, we we don't have that, but we got these ones And, and they were, they were okay. I don't know. I'm not, I've never like delved into kombucha, so I'm not sure what it's supposed to taste like, but it wasn't, like, terrible, but it wasn't totally my jam. I was more of a fan of the uh, stout we got that day because I'm a stout guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, anywho, uh, what do you rate that there, whatever you're drinking, Mr. Top Half of Chris's Head?
1: Uh, Well, it's a Denver Beer Co. Pretzel Assassin. Let me see if I can get that high en- yeah. enough That's in the webcam for people to see. Yeah. Uh, I've had that one,
0: I'm not sure if I've had it on the podcast, but I've had that one plenty of times it's a relatively popular one nice easy drinking stuff, it would really go well with pretzels not
1: Not usually too much of a lager guy, but uh, Mm -hmm. this is pretty tasty, I'd say
0: Yeah. what do you rate that on a scale of 3 to 17?
1: Uh, I'd give it at least a 13 Mm
0: mm-hmm 13 like a good on score. Me a little bit uh maybe all the whiskey was floating at the top or something. I'm not sure. I didn't stir it. I just kind of dumped it cuz I was just like, "Oh god, we got to be live now." <laughs> so, now now that's a little better. Um but still not like amazing. I'm going to give it an 8. It's it's like a little less than average. It's fine, but it needs something else to really make it shine. Dan, what do you rate that kombucha on a scale of 3 to 17?
3: well if you like kombucha it's definitely a kombucha so it qualifies for the scale beyond that uh this one is a pineapple peach uh, kombucha so personally i'm more fond of like the fruitier teas rather than the uh the more leafy teas i'm not very good at describing it so i would personally rate this about uh, a 13 as well all
1: right I've been faking my way through beer descriptions for the entirety of this podcast. <laughs> nice. so, uh...
0: And you've only now just told me. I'm kidding. I, f- I think I knew that. <laughs> 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 All right. I fixed the stream. Discord was in a funny window shape, and it wasn't showing the entire uh, entirety of Chris's head. So, uh, sorry, that was my bad. But I fixed it now. Hooray. Um, anywho, shall we get into the news and booze, gentlemans? Yes. We're already
3: in the booze, so let's get into the news.
0: That's our new theme song for the News and Booze. I wrote that tune and I call it The Hammered Brothers. which is actually, I got that name uh, from the guy that was on the first episode of Drink to the Past before I even started it with Chris uh, when we were trying to think of names for the podcast. That was one of the names we came up with. Uh, I think he suggested that. Um, So shout out to Cody. He's awesome. Go check out Cheesy C on TikTok. He's all popular and stuff because he did TikTok instead of YouTube, I guess. (laughs) Apparently that's the way to get popular.
3: Well, if you do uh, YouTube shorts, if you haven't seen those, they get ridiculously popular. I'll link you a video at some point about uh, The Spiffing Brit, if you've seen his podcast. He's all about game exploits and that sort of thing. Well, he apparently has figured out a way to game the YouTube algorithm to get ridiculously popular overnight for no reason.
0: Cool. I'd love to be ridiculously popular overnight for no reason. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm not that worried about it. Um, I'm going to move Discord down because I keep accidentally streaming my cursor. (laughs) I think think you would
1: have to upload way more videos to be ridiculously popular overnight. think that, but
3: ironically, if you just do like one a day with the YouTube Shorts thing, uh, the algorithm, you can trick it into currently making you popular in an obscenely short amount of time.
0: Hmm. Neat. So go to whatever that guy is. First piece of news and booze is the Paper Mario speedrun has been set for the world record. And this is the most hilarious speedrunning world record that has ever been, <laughs> I think. Uh, this is for the original Nintendo 64 Paper Mario. And the new speedrun method actually uses... Uh, it's uh, it's a little under two hours, I think. And this speedrunning method actually involves playing ocarina of time for about half of that time so how this works uh you can check out for a more in-depth uh uh analysis and actually to see the run check out jcog on youtube jcog uh Jay Cog is the uh, runner that ran this And uh, he seems uh, unsure if this will count as an Any% percent, or if they'll actually have to make a new category for this particular type of speedrun because basically what he's doing is he's getting up to a certain point in Paper Mario, then he switches out, he plays Ocarina of Time up to a certain point, which uh, the way that he does it is able to write data to the Nintendo 64 expansion pack. And then he hits the reset button, and while the N64 is resetting, He switches the cartridges, so the RAM in the expansion pack keeps the written data from Ocarina of Time, and then he's able to load that in this portion of Paper Mario in order to teleport him to the end credits. Which is just the most batshit, absurd, freaking speed run I've ever heard of. And it uses Ocarina of Time to make Paper Mario faster. And that's the best thing I've ever
1: heard. What do you guys think about this? I just want to say I'm a software engineer, and that still sounds like wizardry to me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I've seen some of the, uh, I think it's gold and silver. They do uh, essentially data editing through the name of Pokemon in order to speed run that to the end credits by manipulating uh, the game state. So game state manipulation, uh, I think, should be its own category of speed runs. Um, yeah. Personally, I, I'm personally more fond of uh, glitchless speed runs. But mm. even that being said, uh, glitching out the game in order to achieve a favorable game state does definitely take a lot of skill. And so, yeah. I, to assign them their own category i think that's fair
0: yeah uh so i don't know if this will count as <laughs> any percent because as written i believe any percent means you can glitch it in any manner uh but i don't know that playing a different game to actually because it's it's kind of using an outside source to modify the data within the game so it's yeah it's not hacking but it's kind of hacking, right? So <laughs> it's like that almost has to be its own separate category. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that will eventually shake out in the speedrun community. I am not a speedrun expert. I just like watching pretty much mostly just Ocarina of Time speedruns. Occasionally other speedruns, like if if something weird like this comes up or other Zelda speedruns or Pokemon, I've watched a few. Uh, they're they're kind of interesting as well. But uh, yeah, uh, so that's yeah, pretty cool.
1: I feel like. <laughs> Even if it wasn't allowed in the rest of the speedrunning category, uh, categories it should have at least its very own category. Mm -hmm. It's a unique enough achievement.
0: Yeah. It is (laughs) still the fastest anybody in the world has got from starting Paper Mario to ending Paper Mario. So, you know, you take that for what you will. Uh, next <laughs> piece of news and booze is also an interesting Nintendo 64-related thing. Uh, Dinosaur Planet has leaked online, which uh, Dinosaur Planet is an old Nintendo 64 game that was being developed by Rare, uh, who you may know as Them Guys What Made uh, GoldenEye and Banjo-Kazooie, a uh, handful of other stuff. Um, so they, they were making this in the late 90s for the Nintendo 64. Uh, this particular version of the game was circa 2000 is is what's in the copyright date in the code or something. So uh, they switched the project to the GameCube in the middle of development and it eventually actually became what we now have released as Star Fox Adventure. But it started as a totally different game with a totally different cast of characters, and then they ended up, like, reskinning it to make it a Star Fox game after porting it to the GameCube. Uh, so this is just an interesting kind of, uh, thing. Follow it. I, I, uh, I got my info from Forest Illusion on Twitter. That's just the word Forest and Illusion. Uh, so follow at them and, uh, if you are interested in more of this. But I, I just thought this was also just a crazy weird leak that somebody found, like, this Uh, I don't know if it was on like a development cartridge or something, but somebody found this and leaked it online and you can now see what the original game was supposed to look like that became Star Fox Adventure.
3: Kind of like, uh, was it Super Mario Brothers 2 was based on Doki Doki Panic and just reskinned to make yeah, an extra Mario it's, game?
0: It's a similar situation to that, but in this case, the original project actually got scrapped and was never released. Well, not scrapped, but was never released because they eventually ported it and uh, changed it. But yeah, it's it's similar situation there. So, you guys going to go check out Dinosaur Planet? And oh, I'm at Demorodos? least going
1: to look at it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I looked at a couple of screenshots and it seems kind of interesting. It was apparently late enough into development that they had started like importing in Star Fox characters because Fox is the main character in all the screenshots I saw, but he's still got the name of the old protagonist in the dialogue, which is kind of interesting. It's like, huh? So that's a. It's I think it's just cool to see something mid-development like that as well. <clears throat> because that's just not a thing that companies usually show off, you know.
1: Yeah, you know. it's uh it's what the it could have been before mm-hmm. uh, and I always I've, I I kind of have mixed feelings about uh Star Fox Adventures myself anyway.
0: Yeah, it was a game I never played but a f- Fair number of people said it like it's it's got a little bit of a cult following, and a lot of that cult following tells me that it's similar to a Zelda game. So I've always been curious, but um, I don't think it's available anywhere but GameCube. So it's probably balls expensive right now. <laughs> like my <laughs> problem with uh, finding my old Ocarina of Time disc, which we were talking about a while ago. I was like, oh, I'll just buy a new one. I don't want to pay hundred fifty bucks. What the hell? So-
1: I liked I liked the game all right. It does have kind of an inexcusable glitch where if you do things in a certain order, uh, you can basically soft softlock yourself. You can't progress further in the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I did that. I did that several years before I even knew about the glitch and couldn't find the way forward. And only, uh, I think about 10 years later, I found out that that glitch was a thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, next piece of news and booze, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remakes are coming to the Switch later this year, which they came to PS4 and other stuff last year, and everybody said, oh, well, everything Activision has ported lately has come to the Switch six months later, so this is not really a big surprise, but hey, they're they're coming, so if you've been waiting, they're, they're coming. So, uh, you guys play either of the Tony Hawk games? I know, Daniel, you and I played some... We played mostly Tony Hawk's Underground back in the day.
3: Yeah, uh, I was never any good
0: at that game. <laughs> like, not at all.
3: Nice. It's more um, fun that
0: way sometimes, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like uh, remember? I remember I was like that with Automobili Lamborghini, which was oh. this uh, <laughs> Lamborghini licensed racing game for N sixty four, and I was so bad at it that I literally just like. At the start of every race, I would turn around and I would go on the track backwards and try to crash into people to fuck them up.
3: It was the most frustrating thing because anytime <laughs> uh, time... It, it felt like any time I was ahead of our older brother, <laughs> then I would be the first one and here's Sean coming the wrong way. And so I he'll crash you. into me head on. And now I lose the game because Sean <laughs> hit me. And anytime my brother was ahead, for whatever reason he would expect Sean, he's probably following the mini map or something. I wasn't paying attention to. And so he would dodge. And then anytime I'm like almost about to catch up to him, suddenly here I get head on again. And Oh, or like
0: in Colin McRae rally racing where I also really sucked at that game. So I would just like hold the trigger and just let the course drive for me. I just like bump into walls and stuff and just like, whatever happens happens. It's fine. <laughs> My car's already totaled before I even started the race. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. Um, Xbox games for gold uh, has been revealed. So, coming March 15th, March 16th, sorry. Uh, I made a mistake. I have to drink. Oh, man. Uh, Alright, I've put that away, so now I'm going to let it get out of my mouth for a second so I can actually taste this sweet, sweet stout. Um, So, this is an interesting game uh, uh, coming to Xbox Games with Gold, March 16th. It's called um, VALA, uh, which is an anagram, and acronym, that's the word, now, I remembered the word. I have to drink now, but I'm going to drink in a second because I've still got chai in my mouth, and I do not want to disrespect this beer by drinking it with a mouthful of chai. So, anyways, I owe you one drink. Um, so, anyway, VALA, V-A-L-A, stands for Vicious Attack Llama Apocalypse.
1: Which Vicious. is that is a mouthful.
0: Yes. So you uh fight just shitloads of llamas. It's like a top-down twin stick shooter. So you're moving and you're aiming with the other stick and and I assume shooting. And it just looks so insane. I am just so downloading this day one. It is like, <laughs> what? What do I even do with this? I don't know, but I'm going to kill a crap load of llamas. <laughs> You guys seen the trailer for this or anything?
1: Uh, I (laughs) have not. Not at all.
0: Definitely check out the trailer. It it looks hilarious. (laughs) I will, uh, if I can make my capture card work, I will stream this on the next podcast after it releases. That'll be awesome. Um, The Halo TV series uh, was announced uh, for Showtime uh, last year sometime, I think. And it is uh, now going to premiere on Paramount Plus instead, which is apparently Paramount is making a streaming service because everybody has to do that these days. It will star Pablo Schreiber. I don't know who that is. And it's being executive produced by Steven Spielberg. And I know who that is. So I'm actually kind of like intrigued by that. I'm like, hold on, Steven Spielberg is... Producing the Halo series? Now, Now, hold on, you have my interest peaked. Because, like, I was vaguely interested before, but probably not enough to, like, even bother, like, with a subscription service that I don't, because I already have too many fucking subscription services. (laughs) But uh, now I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to download Paramount Plus at least to watch this and then cancel my free trial. So, uh, you guys interested in a Halo TV series?
1: Sounds uh, I'm interested. It's, that's, I feel like these, uh, series are attracting bigger and bigger names.
0: Yeah, because we were reporting last oh, time we had a podcast, you. I think, that, uh, Pedro Pascal is going to be in the Last of Us series as Joel, so, and, and somebody else who is from Game of Thrones, and I forgot her name because I didn't watch Game of Thrones, uh, so as Ellie yeah so and and of course obviously all the big names in the Sonic movie you know um I mean relatively big like Jim Carrey and then some other lesser but still sort of big names but not quite Jim Carrey level big so yeah uh video game tv is actually and and movies are like they're going places it's it's cool I'm so excited <laughs> that like video game movies don't all just have to be hilariously amazing train wrecks.
1: It is <laughs> nice, right. but
0: some of them it's, are good in their y- own yeah. way, but it's 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 also like kind of that stigma that like video game movies for a long, long time, even if they were pretty decent movies, just didn't at all embody what would what the game was about. So it's, yeah. The
3: Warcraft movie was pretty
0: good. I feel like I watched that one because you let me borrow it on DVD and then I forgot everything about it.
3: Mm. Speaking so, so, of which, do you still have my DVD?
0: For? I might. I will check. I, I don't know. Do you still have my <laughs> Octopath Traveler?
3: So I still have not beaten the first boss. Damn it. Wow.
0: <laughs> I am. I thought you were going to say the final boss because the final boss is li- literally I was just having a conversation with this earlier with uh, Seamus who was on our podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago he's a cool guy check out at the Seamus which is spelled funny S-E-U-M-A-S Seamus um, on Twitter check him out he's a cool guy he's writer for TGPZ Gaming and, and some other stuff, does some some YouTube stuff. Um, I was just talking to him about it, and he, like, I guess spent a total of something like 400 hours in that game between just doing the game and also grinding up every character to level 99 to try and fight the final boss. And then he spent about four hours in the dungeon to fight the... Because there's no save points in the dungeon. And first you have to fight eight bosses before you fight the final boss. And the final boss has two phases, which both just like even the first phase, just completely outclasses every other boss in the game by a lot. And I I guess he spent like four hours and didn't even kill the first phase of it. And he's just like, damn it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of those things that I need to get back to one of these days. I got to catch up and grind to level 99 and, and not die horribly. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, uh there was a Pokemon Presents uh presentation. Uh is it is it weird to say pre- a Pokemon Presents presentation?
1: i mean pokemon presents presentate i mean so there was a nintendo nintendo Direct on
0: pokemon that's it's basically what is it what it is they just call it a instead of po- calling them pokemon directs now they call them pokemon presents i don't i don't know why pokemon company no. is like no we're not we're not going to associate with nintendo now even though we will always and forever make all of our games exclusive to nintendo
1: you say <laughs> that now
0: True. It, I mean, I did also stream Tembo the Badass Elephant, which was produced by Game Freak the other week, which which was hilarious. Go check out my gameplay for Tembo the Badass Elephant. It is it, it is such a wacky ass game. Um, anyways, like uh, so there's a handful tank. of announcement for the uh, yeah Tembo the Badass Elephant is like you're an elephant, of course, and uh, it's it's just a simple like action platformer. But the environments are all pretty good. The soundtracks, you know, not, not terrible. Uh, it's, it's a fun game. It's something that you would expect to be produced by Sega or, or published by Sega. It is published by Sega. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's the quality that Sega would deliver on any other kind of 2D platformer like that, you know. I feel like it's at least the quality of most Sonic the Hedgehog games. I thought it was a ton of fun. And it's just so ridiculous to be this elephant commando and just beat the shit out of stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> Go check it out. It's it's also only like it was on Steam sale the other week. I don't know if it's still on sale, but it was like two bucks on Steam sale. It's, it's like I would easily have paid more. Mm, now I'm getting into the beer. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm.
3: Is that the drink you owe us?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll take All an right. extra one just in case. Hmm.
1: I'm sure you made it.
0: This is one of the smoothest beers I've ever had. Like, if you told me this was on nitro, I would believe you. Um, it has been sitting in this bottle. It says it's 2020 uh, vintage. So I guess that it, it, it's been in the bottle for at least a few months Um, It says it's good to bottle condition for a while longer, but I couldn't wait because I I love stout. Uh, So I might have to go back and like get another one of these and and sit on it for a while. Uh, 2020
3: was a bit of a year. Maybe it's, you know, just extended. the. 2020 was
0: the longest 10 years of my (laughs) life, man. (laughs) Hmm. This is so... It, it doesn't feel as heavy as it is. It's 11 and a half or something. 11 and... Where does it say? It says on here somewhere. 11 and something. Anyway.
3: Sneaky stout, is it?
0: Yeah. It's... Uh, you really get a lot of fruitiness from that Chardonnay barrel, um, which is uncharacteristic of a stout, but it's really kind of got a lot of the other kind of uh, things you might expect from a... You know, it's... Other than that, it's fairly dark maltiness. Not not as dark as some things I would get. It's it's not as harsh as, like, a bourbon barrel-aged one as well. A lot of bourbon barrel-aged ones kind of pick up that, like, woodiness. Almost uh, feel like you, like, dropped a shot of bourbon in it or something, and, and you're just like... <laughs> which, sometimes if they make that work, that can, that can really work, and I actually like that. But this one is just ridiculously smooth texturally. Um, and it's it's got that fruitiness which really kind of works in contrast with the with the kind of uh, malts that it's got
2: mm.
0: that is an excellent beer um, I'm gonna sit on that for a minute before I read it just to just to let it stew um, anyways so going into the Pokemon presents this was actually one done for the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, which has happened since the last time we had a podcast. Pokemon is 25 years old and can now legally rent a car. I don't know if that's true. They made a joke about birthday. it on Family Guy once. Um, anyways, uh, there was a new trailer for New Pokemon Snap, which we've known that was coming out for a little while now. Uh, so that was it was pretty cool. Uh, didn't really reveal a ton that we didn't know. Um, there's like a new kind of ball that you can throw at Pokemon. And if they eat it, then they glow or something. Uh, so it's, I think it's just them trying to replace pester balls because you should not throw shit at Pokemon or wildlife. To to
2: piss them off. To make them (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just like,
0: give me a better picture. You dick. I'm going to throw rocks at you. (laughs) This is not something that you should do. So I think it comes across to me as like. We don't want pester balls anymore. What do we replace <laughs> them with? Okay, this will work. So it's it looks fine. Uh, the game just looks cool anyways. I'm excited to have another Pokemon Snap. Um, also announced is Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are announced coming later this year. They are oh. remakes of the original Gen 4 games. Uh, it is unclear whether or not it's going to include any content from Platinum version, because some fans are like, oh, it needs to have all this cool stuff from Platinum. Um, And, like, people analyzing the screenshots and stuff have been like, oh, this NPC is here in Platinum, but not in the other ones, so they're including Platinum. But it's like, it's not really enough to say anything for certain. So it's... uh, But I think it's cool that... um, Gen Four is getting a remake anyway. Uh, the art style is surprisingly divisive. Like everybody in the gameosphere on Twitter, either really loves it or really hates it. Have you guys seen the screenshots?
2: I have not. No, the
0: trailer or anything. Yeah. Um, so it it kind of has a similar feel to Link's Awakening, where it's kind of like in the overworld, you're like this like chibi thing with like this giant head and so it, it really kind of looks almost like an updated uh like 3D model version of the sprites from the original game because obviously the sprites in that era of game would just have a big ass head that's, that's how it works and so personally i really like it and then it also switches art style to a more uh you know realistic kind of proportions in in the style like what you're used to seeing in like sword and shield and that kind of Pokemon. So, um, I like it. I think it looks really cool. Um, but it's it's very divisive in, in the Pokemon community.
3: Yeah, I think one of the things Pokemon does really well is they, they make it understood that it's representative scale. One of the things that always aggravated me about World of Warcraft is it's supposed to be realistic scale, but then there's so many places where... It has to be re- uh, representative scale because it's just too big of a world to actually render every Picayuni little thing. Um, but uh, Pokemon, by having the sprites that you walk around in the world with and you can interact with uh, the world in that way, it makes it so that you can like zoom in on what is... Uh, directly applicable or relevant and otherwise you remain zoomed out so you understand you're in this world and all the trees and forests look like trees and forests but it doesn't have to obviously store all of the data for the entire world uh, all at once as a side note i would love World of pokemon like that would be that might get me back into Pokemon, really, well, if they released it. Well, you know what the
0: next announcement was is called Pokemon Legends Arceus, uh, which in the trailer they pronounced it Arceus, and I learned that I have been saying Arceus this whole time, which is wrong, but I'm still going to say Arceus because Arceus has arse in it, and then I can, like, make fun of British people saying Arceus. Uh It's funny to me. Uh, I'm still going to pronounce is... it Avachin nice what uh avacyn (laughs) i think is the official pronunciation of that or some something along those lines They from magic uh,
1: reborn as opposed to she's definitely regular team (laughs) right
0: (laughs) so pokemon legends arceus is a new open world pokemon game that is also set in the Sinnoh region so it's kind of gonna tie in i assume somehow with this but it's like it looks like an older, like, it looks like the art style kind of reminds me of, like, older style Japanese culture. Uh, so it, it looks like it's set maybe, I don't know, a couple of hundred years before the Sinnoh games or something. And they have, like, more primitive-looking Pokeballs, which is kind of interesting, because I guess the Pokeball technology has been around for forever since the ancient city of Pokemopolis yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's a old ass throwback from the anime there if you get that reference then then you have to drink Hmm. the only
1: thing i remember from the anime is those jelly donuts you always loved those jelly donuts didn't you (laughs) yeah you gotta love those jelly donuts yeah
0: Um, so, this is coming out next year, um, and I am just excited as balls about it, because it's a fucking open-world Pokemon game. I've been saying they should make, like, an open-world Pokemon game for, like, almost as long as I've been saying an open-world Zelda game, which, it took them far too long to do both of those things, but finally, we are going to live in a world where we have both of those things. The gameplay trailer also shows, like... You're like sneaking around in the wild and there's just Pokemon around you like fucking wild animals like Pokemon are supposed to be. And (laughs) you just like sneak up on them and you can throw Pokeballs at them without battling and stuff like in the anime. And it's just like, Oh my God, this is everything I've ever wanted from a Pokemon game. Why did you not do this 20 years ago? (laughs) It's so cool looking. I am so excited about this. Um, And Interestingly enough, it says there's a Pokemon professor who has traveled the world, so your starters are actually Rowlet or Cyndaquil or Oshawott, which are three different—they're still the same, Firegrass and— Water. Uh, water starters, but they, they're they all from different regions, which I think is super cool. And I'm going to go with my buddy Cyndaquil because he's been my favorite starter since Gen 2 back <laughs> in the day when I didn't have Gen 2 for a long time, and I was just like, I want a Cyndaquil! I'm like 10, and all I want in the world is a Cyndaquil. <laughs> yeah, so... um, God, I want this game. What's your hype <laughs> <laughs> uh, for this game, guys?
1: Uh, I would definitely play an open world Pokemon game. That's what I would say.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, what platform is it on? It's coming for Switch. Switch. Yeah. Then, uh seventeen out of seventeen.
2: All right, I, I will
3: buy this game. Yeah, <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> if it was right, coming man. out for like Xbox, I still don't own an Xbox, and I.
2: Mm-
0: might buy that Series S looking pretty good at that $300 price point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I keep having discussions about that. That, that There's uh, one of the guys in the uh, uh, two guys playing Zelda Discord server is always talking to me about, like, how I, I'm so stupid for buying the cheap version. And I'm just like, dude, all I'm doing is running Game Pass. I'm never going to buy a game as long as I own this system I'm just subscribed to Game Pass and 80% of it is for Halo.
2: <laughs>
0: All I want is Halo. I've, I, that actually, would be- I've been getting a crapload of cool different other games on the service because any, anyways, we'll talk about more Game Pass at some point. Well, What were you going to say, Dan?
3: Oh, I was just going to say back to Halo. A lot of the reason that I didn't want to buy an Xbox is because I would have to buy every single Halo to play... <laughs> Halo with all of my friends because they're all going to ask, Oh, do you have Reach? Do you have Halo 4? Do you have,
0: yeah? Well, that's the whatever the new one is. Because, first of all, they're all on Game Pass, so you could subscribe to Game Pass and just get them. Or, uh, actually, most of them are now in the Master Chief collection, so you could buy the Master Chief collection, and that comes with everything up to Halo 4. And the only non included game is Halo 5, and nobody likes that one as well, so you're fine. Uh I I actually just played through that with our other brother, uh Tim, and uh it was it was interesting, but it's it's just it doesn't feel quite like Halo. It's interesting. It's got like these weird squad dynamics and things, and uh you can tell that it was kind of made based around four player co-op, but then when two of your players are NPCs, it's just kind of weird, and then they die, and you're like, where the hell's Buck? Did he die again? Ah, weird. Oh, well. And then he... But then you don't realize and he's, like, there again later. And it turns out that, like, they just respawn at every checkpoint. So it, it barely even matters if you die. And it's, like, such a weird mechanic. And then it's got, like, these weird Call of Duty elements. Like, when you're not dead, but, like, you've gone down, you can, like, call for help. And then your buddy can come resuscitate you. And it's just, like... It feels odd and out of place in a Halo game, and like the action throughout was okay and the level design was okay, but I'm just like, yeah, I could be playing Reach. So, there, 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 there. anyways, I that like was me, all my for jump the, jets. <laughs> yeah, that was all for that. Um, <clears throat> so there was. That was all the Pokemon news. Um, So moving on, next piece of news and boos. There's one little piece of Sony news and booze before we will get into the state of play, which is basically a Nintendo Direct, except for it's all PlayStation shit. Um, But before that, Sony announced... Their online store is going to be discontinuing video services on August 31st. After that date, users who made purchases will still be able to view video-on-demand content that they have purchased, but no new content will be added, and purchases will no longer be possible. Uh, So, this barely affects me, and I'm assuming it doesn't affect either of you, because neither of you have a PS4 or 5, I think?
1: Nope. PS3 was my last... uh big playstation console
0: yeah so um i've bought one movie on this because i like for a short while was like oh let's try to get into the digital movies because that's what people are doing now right except now i barely ever remember to watch it because it's not like on a streaming service that i use much like like I pretty much watch most of my stuff on Netflix, and then I use my DVDs occasionally. So if I had bought it on DVD, it's Wreck-It Ralph 2, which if I had bought it on DVD, I feel like I would watch it way more than I do because I would have the DVD, and then I'd see it when I'm going through my DVDs. You know, I just never think of it because it's the only movie I've bought on this service. And then I have a handful of other movies also. I think if I'm going to do any more digital movie purchasing, I'm going to do them through Google Play, because google has fuck you money and they will always be there for me (laughs) and so i don't have to worry about that very much and also because i get like i do surveys for google of like basically they track my you know shopping history even harder kind of (laughs) they give me surveys about my shopping history and they're like did you go to this store lately because we saw that you were close to it on your gps or something I'm not sure how they know I bet that's how they know because everybody tracks your <laughs> GPS on smartphones these days I maybe. mean they do kind of track but then, everything like yeah I made a purchase and no I didn't save the receipt I'm a stupid millennial what do you, what do you want from me <laughs> <laughs> and and then they give me like 30 cents Google Play Store credit and I buy movies every now and then or or Pokemon go upgrades <laughs> so. Yeah, um, anyways, nothing big about that, but for anybody who's interested, that's a thing. So, um, PlayStation State of Play has all sorts of crazy-ass stuff going in. Um, there's also one more non-State of Play piece of news and booze, but we'll get that to the, at the end, because it's related to the last thing that they announced in the State of Play. So, first thing they started off with is, uh, Crash 4, uh is going to get a ps5 upgrade um it will run at 4k in 60 frames per second and it has extra playstation 5 triggers or or extra drink i'm getting a buzz already this is heavy (laughs) uh it will have extra playstation 5 features such as adaptive triggers with the with because the playstation 5 controller is fancy and stuff um so this sounds kind of neat but i'm still like i've just i have no nostalgia for crash and i'm just like is crash 4 a good place to get into the series i'm not sure and there's enough other stuff that i am more interested in than a platformer on ps5 that when i inevitably get one i feel like i just am personally not gonna care uh yeah you guys like final fantasy 7 we're getting to that. (laughs) <laughs> oh there's stuff about ff7 if you haven't heard that's coming up in just a moment so stay tuned if you don't stay tuned you have to drink it's a rule i just made it up i'm the boss of the podcast you have to listen to me i'm kidding you don't have to listen to me i mean you're listening to me right now because you're listening to my podcast so i guess you don't have there to is that. you could push stop at any point but please don't leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts instead Anyways, uh, Returnal had a gameplay trailer. This was announced a little while ago. It's a third-person shooter with kind of roguelike elements. Um, it looks fun and fast-paced is what I wrote on here when I was taking notes, but now I've forgotten what it actually looks like. So, I'm not really I'm not really super hyped about this. Like it, look, it looks fine. Um, I think Returnal. this is yeah. I forget what, I remember this was announced at a previous state of play or something. I don't remember when it was announced, but it was announced a little while ago. And I think we vaguely talked about it. It looks kind of interesting, but I don't remember what it looks like anymore. So Yeah, I think
3: I will give it a four out of 17 on the hype meter from three to 17. It's a four because if I buy a PS5, is what it's on, right? If I buy a PS5, then maybe I will look into something about it if I hear more about it. Right. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I'm not completely uninterested, but
0: Mm -hmm.
3: yeah, I'm sure it might be cool, but I don't go on a PS5. So
0: So, uh, next uh, announcement was Knockout City, which is interesting because this was announced in a Nintendo Direct, uh, which was two weeks ago I think that we actually I talked about this with our guest who was Crow Crow is on our yeah Crow is our guest I was trying to think of who was our guests recently so Crow and I talked about this one but the trailer and the Nintendo Direct like made no sense it was so weird and this trailer actually just tells you what the freaking game is about uh it's just like a crazy ass dodgeball game where you're like playing dodgeball in the middle of this city and there's like the the maps are all 3D and you can kind of jump around different areas in the dodgeball or in the in the like arena and and you're playing dodgeball and it's got weird mechanics in some modes like you can turn one of your friends into the ball and throw it at your opponent to score points but if you accidentally like throw your friend off a cliff or something you lose points so it's it actually from this trailer looks pretty cool it it looked kind of interesting from the other trailer but the other trailer opened with like this weird uh opening it's it's like you kind of got to watch it to really understand what the hell i'm talking about but it's anyways um
1: so i did actually watch a short little amount of play of that game Mm -hmm. uh a few weeks ago and i was a i i don't know maybe it's more fun to play than it looks but it didn't look too appealing to me
2: Mm mm-hmm
0: it looks kind of interesting. It uh, if if it's done right, I feel like it would have the same kind of energy as like Splatoon, but it's it's so hard to tell without actually playing it if it's got that energy. But there is actually a crossplay beta open now, so if you're interested in this game, you can get into the beta and try it out now. Uh, so go check that out. Look up Knockout City. I think the crossplay is open on PlayStation and PC but I, I don't think it's... It's coming to Switch, but I don't think the beta is on Switch. I, I could be wrong about that. So check check that out for more information. Uh, they said the beta is cross-play, so I believe it's at least PlayStation. I, I'm not sure if it's coming to PS4 or PS5 or both, um, but anyway, it's, it's also coming to PC, so check that out if you're interested. Um, next one actually looked kind of insane, in a good way. Uh, It's called Sifu. Uh, It's coming later this year to PlayStation 5, and it's, like, some sort of crazy, like, action game, like, doing just ridiculous... Like, it looks like you're playing a Bruce Lee movie. The trailer with the gameplay just kind of shows, like, your character, and you're, like, blocking and punching and knocking people into walls and just doing all sorts of this over-the-top kind of, like highly choreographed combat that you would see in like that old kind of martial arts movie but it's somehow works in an actual game and i'm just like this looks like mechanically this has to be like very interesting i'm i'm very intrigued by this game um did you guys see this or are you interested from my description
1: I'm interested. From your description, sounds like kind of an Woosha movie, movie sort of deal. Sounds uh, like
3: something. Sorry, uh, sounds like something our older brother would like a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see myself checking that out. Um, yeah, coming later this year on PS Five. Um, Solar Ash is a 3D platformer by Heart Machine, who is the development company behind Hyperlight Drifter. Um, Chris, did you play Hyperlight Drifter?
1: I never did, although it always seemed like the kind of game that would be right up my yeah, alley.
0: I think Crow talked about it on the podcast several times. Um, so go back and look up those episodes where Crow's on the podcast and and you'll get an idea. Anyways, <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about Hyperlight Drifter and this one looks kind of interesting. It's very flowy and fast paced kind of gameplay coming to ps4 and ps5 uh so it's kind of hard to describe much beyond that so go check out the trailer if you are interested it's more of a if i remember it was not as much of an action game as as now i'm now i'm traveling i'm having a little trouble remembering there's so much shit that was (laughs) announced in this that i'm just like i can't remember every little thing but i i think it was a little more platformy looking but not that bad um with with a decent mix of action is what it looked like um next announcement was five nights at freddy's security breach uh it looks like generic chucky e. cheese shit is walking at you it didn't i didn't think it looked scary at all i was just like were you
1: were you not familiar with the original five nights at freddy's series or
0: i'm vaguely hear much about aware that? of it
1: uh, so so like, some
0: people say it's scary or something, but I don't know. Like none of the imagery that I've seen has particularly looked scary. And watching this gameplay trailer, I was just like, "This doesn't look scary." It's, so the, it's like the most boring horror game I've ever seen.
1: And th- that's and I just disappointing. Played the
0: medium for five hours
1: because <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's is one of the few uh, like horror games that I've played that actually managed to, you know, scare me. Okay. And then, like, I was playing the game, and I was like, nope, I'm going to hit the escape button. This is too intense.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I'll have to check out the older ones. And maybe this one is good, but it just didn't come across that way in the trailer for me. I'm not sure. I guess you would be better established to check out the trailer, and maybe at some point uh, we can discuss that in the future if you look up the trailer at some point. But I just didn't think it looked very scary at all.
1: Um, It could be that it's just a failure of whatever that game is. Yeah. Uh,
3: Reminds me of um, was it Silent Hill uh, where they had the fog effect to uh, cover over. It was ironically a technical limitation of the initial platform. They created this this fog effect to fade out the further uh, away you would see in the town or whatever. Mm -hmm. When they made uh, a remake for it, they had more advanced technology. And so naturally they took away the fog effect because they could now render the whole town simultaneously. And it dramatically declined the actual horror aspect Mm -hmm. of it. I think it was silent Hill. I can't remember uh, if it was that one or, or another one in the genre that, it it's iconic mechanic that you can't see everything around you you can't see the other side of the street uh, because you're you know it, it's covered in fog that was uh, a workaround for the mechanical limitations of the system it was created for and when they updated it they got a whole bunch of flack for removing it because it that was part of the game and that was part of what it uh, made it immersive and uh, scary.
0: That's kind of a feeling I had uh, with the remake of Doom 3. Because remember in Doom 3, you actually had to switch to your flashlight if you wanted a flashlight. You couldn't just like have a flashlight and a gun you had to choose do you want your gun out or do you want the flashlight out so you can see where you're where you're going and i thought that was such a cool mechanic that really intensified a lot of scenarios especially with just how dark some of the stuff got because sometimes it was literally like i i put down the flashlight and now all I can see is, like, the little light-up display on my minigun that says how many bullets I have left, and that's the only thing on screen, unless I'm shooting, and then the muzzle flashes you can also see. And I thought that was such a clever thing to use, you know, guiding off of the muzzle flashes when you're shooting. But in the remake, I guess people complained about that a lot because it didn't click with everybody as a mechanic. And so in the remake they made the flashlight like halo where it's like you just have an on off button on one of your buttons and it's got like a battery so it'll it'll die after a while but it's like in the remake i felt like it was the battery life was long enough that if you were like paying attention to it you would never be screwed by it even once through the whole game and i was like it kind of really loses that effect and it's so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing where it's similar where they like the, they tried to do something, I guess it's, it's the same kind of thing that they're just trying to update it and make it better. But in one case, it kind of worked and in, or, or I guess in both cases, it kind of didn't work, did it? Cause it killed the immersion, huh?
3: Well, yeah, but, um, legitimately if I was doom guy and i I had to, you know, have a flashlight out. I would definitely figure out some way of freaking duct taping that flashlight right. to my <laughs> <laughs> to my gun so that at I would like be able tape to see a
0: chainsaw or something.
3: Yeah, like <laughs> um but legitimately uh, if you are thrust into that scenario then it definitely does create a different uh immersion effect.
0: Mhm. Uh next thing odd world source storm got a new trailer um you had to uh lets you control the bad guys with shamanic magic and has very highly featured areas in a 2.9 d platformer <laughs> so it's it's largely side scrolling but it's kind of got that like yoshi's crafted world thing where you there's certain areas where you go back and forth on the screen uh so uh, they described it in the trailer as a 2.9D platformer. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I'm not big into the Oddworld games, but my wife really, really liked them. She played a bunch of Abe's Odyssey, apparently, growing up. I remember seeing it on the store shelves all the time and being like, that game looked weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you guys think about this? Anything?
1: Uh, I never played an Abe's World Odyssey game, so... Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think, um, which Kirby game was it that was 2.5D where, you know, you would, I think it was, Kirby was 64. that on the, yeah, that might have been on Nintendo 64. Yeah, where like, you,
0: it was basically 2D, but the, the environments were animated in 3D, and some of the stages would have you, like, moving in a 3D space, even though mechanically it was still a side-scroller. And I thought yeah. that was such a cool leap forward in technology at the time. And now I'm just like, give me a fucking 3d Kirby game. It's been 35 years. It's been 35 years and we don't have a 3d Kirby.
1: Nope. Sorry. <laughs> All you're getting is smash brothers. Right. Sometimes. Sometimes. Although I mean, I don't mind smash brothers. But... I had a
0: 3d smash brothers. It was called power stone Two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. It was uh, an
3: interesting game. Yeah.
0: Kena: Bridge of Spirits got a new trailer. This one is one that I'm definitely picking up. Um, it's just like looks so unique and I'm not really sure what to say about it. You're like somehow interacting with a bunch of like spirit world kind of creatures that like kind of remind me of like sprites from a, a Miyazaki film or something um it's got like a a bit of that inspiration in the art direction i think but uh at the same time it's still kind of doing its own thing it doesn't look like they're trying to push it too far into the miyazaki kind of art direction but it's it seems like it's got that kind of inspiration and uh so this this one was actually revealed last year as well this is coming to playstation 4 and playstation 5 uh, so, this is kind of cool that it's it's coming on dual release, so if you don't have a PS5, you don't have to worry about it, but it, I think this is one that's really going to shine on PS5, because just the the trailer quality, I feel like, looked like it was like higher than uh, what my PS4 has ever put out for me, um, although... I'm also running on a base model PS4, so it's like I'm not on a pro or whatever, so some people might have... Your your mileage may vary, but this one is definitely going to be one that I'm going to pick up uh, for my PlayStation 5 when I eventually get one. Um, hmm. Yeah. Have you guys seen... We talked about this when it was announced, Chris. I don't remember if you remember.
1: I... I vaguely remember something... Kind of Miyazaki related. I don't remember much other than that. Right. That tells you about my memory.
0: Apparently. Yeah. Right. And... <laughs> Next thing announced was uh, Deathloop, which again was another old announcement. Uh, just gave us a new cinematic trailer. Didn't really add any new info. So this is a. It's it's still kind of an interesting concept, but. Uh, the the new trailer I didn't feel like really gave us anything. Deathloop is a game where basically you're uh it's a shooter kind of spy espionage detective something where you basically you respawn uh in a city and you have to like go do detective work to find out like where people are at different times of day and stuff and and like murder like five people all in a day except for if you die then you have to restart and so that's kind of one of the mechanics that like you go through a path and then eventually one of the rival assassins might take you out so you might go a different direction next time to get different clues and stuff so it's it's kind of got its own draw it's a first person shooter developed by bethesda so I'm really on board with most of the things that they've been doing in shooters. Obviously, with Doom Eternal and um, Doom 2016, uh, the Wolfenstein games, generally, except for... Actually, I, we forgot uh, what you're playing this week, and I had something to say about Wolfenstein Youngblood. But we can get to that later if we get to it. Um, after the news and
1: booze, probably.
0: Yeah, possibly. Um, actually, yeah, we could do that after news and booze. That'd be fun. Um, so... Yeah, so I think this game still looks neat. Uh, like I said, it didn't really add any new info, but still looks neat. What do you guys think?
3: Uh, nothing. Well, it uh, from the description, it kind of reminds me of one of the old Titanic games uh, in the era of like Mist and Riven, where you have uh-huh. the uh, kind of uh, so back in the 80s and maybe earlier than that, there was a, a program called HyperCard that a lot of games could be designed in relatively easily that uh, you have a screen you can interact with and if you click on one thing, then it'll take you to another screen or something like that where you can interact with things and you solve puzzles that way where uh, the Titanic one that I'm thinking of, yeah, you're on the Titanic and you're trying to investigate this plot to uh smuggle a a rare book called the rubaiyat i think um and there is this assassin intrigue so you have to uh figure out how to do different things and of course if if you die or if you don't solve the thing before the titanic crashes into the iceberg then you know most everybody dies. (laughs) um, And you have to, like, try and find...
0: You're not going to stop the Titanic from crashing, so everybody's going to die anyway. So what's the point?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure. But the idea is uh, you go back through and you can go... uh, You can try to go cabin by cabin through the whole Titanic. It had Explorable with these different uh, Mm. uh, frames that you could interact with. And you had this whole plot about you're trying to solve the mystery and save the day. So. Um,
0: kind of reminds me of a. Wasn't there a game in that generation that we played with Mist and all that that was kind of like that, but it was on a train?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, the Orient
1: Express. Um, and uh, again, like, Murder Mystery, I think, if I mm. recall correctly. Yeah. Definitely getting a blast of the past from all of these. Uh,
0: Except it, it had a lot of interesting things because every time you respawn, you could, like, try it a little bit differently to kind of progress through it because like, like you're the first person to discover the corpse. But then like, if you come right out, then somebody will see you coming out of the room with a corpse and then you'll be like accused and then you'll die instantly and lose the game. But if you, you can like hide the corpse in one of the like, uh, hide a beds or something that's in one of the coaches and then if you go out of the room directly after that, somebody will notice that you have a bunch of blood on your shirt because you just hit a corpse and you'll die again. And then like you had to like do all that and then throw your shirt out the window or something. And and, it, yeah, and I remember just like it was a cool idea, but it was tedious as shit. And I, I was just like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing this. I'm playing Marathon.
3: Oh, <laughs> bang, bang, marathon. aliens die. I, I love Marathon, too, because in addition to all of the subplots that you could read through on the terminals, you, you could also just run through and kill whatever Durandal tells you to murder at any given point. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could win or you could look through the plot. And it was two entirely different games, mm-hmm. depending on how you prefer to play. Yeah.
0: Alright, so remember when I teased Final Fantasy Seven news? Because we're there! Uh, so this is a little bit this time a little around, bit interesting and a little bit insane. And I don't know what I think about this yet, but... Um, so, Final Fantasy Seven Remake is getting a uh, PS5 upgraded version, basically. Um, which, if you have it on PS4 already, then you can uh get a free upgrade to that if you buy a PS5 and if you have the disc version then you have to put in your Final Fantasy 7 di- or well technically if you have either version in the digital version you can be like scanning the digital version somehow and it'll upgrade it to the PS5 version but if you have the disc I have the disc version of the game because I had to buy the stupid collector's edition which I'm gonna show off now because I can because it's cool when it comes in
2: steelbuck
0: with sever off which is too shiny <laughs> to see but anyways, there's, there's that, um, yeah, so, uh, if you put in your disc in ye old PS5, then it'll, uh, scan it somehow, and give you free, free upgrade, so, that's pretty cool, I'm on board with that part, um, it's got, uh, like, additional, uh, photo mode, and, some kind of controller upgrades because like as we've said with the ps5 DualSense controller it's got like upgraded triggers and better rumble with uh, haptic feedback and all that so that sounds kind of neat but the really big announcement here is that the ps5 version uh if you just buy it comes with the with a dlc pack basically for free if you do the upgrade version Uh, So if you put your disc in and and upgrade or whatever from the PS4 version, then you'll have to pay an additional charge for this. And also, the DLC is not available on PS4. The DLC is PS5 exclusive. Uh, It is called Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade. It's a side story featuring Yuffie and a new character, Sonon. Uh, This is going to come out on June 10th. Uh, And... And I just have so many thoughts about this because <laughs> I think, first of all, it's a little bit scummy to make DLC exclusive to a new console. So you, you if you want to buy this DLC, you have to buy a new console. But secondly, I'm the kind of fucking sellout that's going to buy a PS5 to play this shit because this game is so good.
3: <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Now,
3: personally, I'm not sure that um, it's intentionally scummy as it were because yeah. as i understand it they actually developed this from kind of the the ground up in ps5 native uh for this uh section of the content yeah, I, as I they wonder were if
0: there was a potential for that and, and actually it got me kind of thinking also about uh further potential dlc for the game and what that would entail because basically when they announced this first I was just like oh my god this game is getting dlc and I have to buy a ps5 now what do I do I'm I'm gonna hold on let me let me subscribe to all these twitter accounts that are trying to get me past the scalpers when best buy has one go online Uh, (laughs) so um but when I kind of took a step back and thought about it I was like actually this might not be a bad thing because one of the big things that's kind of a contentious issue about final fantasy 7 remake is that this here two blu-ray discs of game is basically the first three or four hours of the original final fantasy it's just until you get out of midgar and so people are like how much more game is there gonna be you know is is it just gonna be a part one and two because otherwise it, it's like, part two is going to be really, really cut somehow, or, or is it going to be three or four parts? You know, it, it's, it could be even longer than that, technically. Uh, but then, now that they've announced this as a separate, like, it's basically, while you're in your Midgar section in, in this game, this is, the, the DLC is whatever Yuffie was doing at this time. Uh, which will delve into her character a little bit, a bit between the Shinra war with Uti Wu Tai, that drink, oh. <laughs> but so so I'm I'm kind of excited about that just in general because of how well I think it this game presents characters and just how fun it is to play. It's so good, um, and with uh with this idea in mind i'm kind of thinking well hold on it could be 2023 2024 by the time we actually see part two but if we got our part one and then we get a bonus chapter as dlc for yuffie what if we get a bonus chapter like 2022 as another buffer and it's like all about vincent whatever he's been doing or or kate sith or something kind of some of these side stories you know red 13 appears in this game but it doesn't really go into his backstory and how he got like abducted by hojo and all that shit so what was up with him before we could have an extra side story and so actually thinking about it that way i'm kind of like the if they do this the way that i'm kind of imagining it they could like have a big ass part of these like every four or five years and then fluff it out in between with a smaller dlc side story uh every year right because that wouldn't be theoretically too hard to make considering you know what all goes into this in in theory and and like this is all conjecture on my part but if if this is what they do then i will eat it up and i will buy every freaking one of those (laughs) and i know i'm not alone
3: yeah uh personally part of the reason that i haven't bought a ps well four and now five yet is because i i want to have final fantasy 7 remake like already by the mm. time i buy it because i will want to play all of it rather than just you know the part uh up until you clear out a midgar Right. Um, but i am uh i'm kind of glad that they haven't done a whole lot of dlc because there's plenty of dlc that they could just add random crap yeah. but at the end of the day uh if they're handling it like this like this has a purpose and i think of all people yuffie's uh yuffie yuffie, yuffie? I, I, I think i have to drink one of these ways uh i'll, I'll go grab something out of the fridge in a second okay. um but uh <laughs> thank you but uh you. she has one oh, of God, the most under <laughs> underused backstories in the entire Final Fantasy 7 universe. Like, uh, Vincent was hinted at, and he was sure in, what, Crisis Core and uh, some other things. Uh, he so also had know... his
1: own game that I don't yeah. remember the name of, but is sitting over there on my shelf somewhere.
3: Yeah, but uh, Yuffie, we know that, theoretically, she's a ninja. She learned her ninja ways somehow. Uh, she works for Wu Tai, and Wu Tai has had this whole war with Shinra this whole time, but none of that was explorable or right. viewable. She um, shows up
0: in a uh, crisis core, like very briefly. And Zach is just like, I don't have time for your shit. And he goes and fights the boss instead. <laughs> it's just like, because she just comes out and she's like, I'm one of the great warriors of wu And Zach's just like, okay just walks right by her so I don't remember exactly how that plays out but she, I remember she's like all bragging and boasting and it and Zach's just like who the fuck is this kid what the hell's going on I don't know I'm here on a mission buddy get out of my way Yeah.
3: also Yuffie is one of my favorite characters in Final Fantasy 7 so
0: <clears throat> yeah I always thought she X was Friday. pretty fun she gets more hate than necessary
3: well, um, just because she robs everybody all the time. <laughs> right. As, as soon as you she understand robs- she is going to rob you multiple times, it's fine.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So and yeah.
3: You weren't using that materia in your pocket.
0: Right. All right. Well, that was the final announcement for the state of play. But while we're on the subject, outside of that, there was a couple of other Final Fantasy VII announcements, of all things. Final Fantasy Seven is getting a prequel, which is odd because it already has a prequel, but it's getting another prequel, which is a Battle Royale game for iOS and Android.
1: <laughs> that is a... Uh...
0: What do I even people? Think?
3: People have been asking for a Final Fantasy Battle Royale, so I'm not going to
0: I mean, bash on it too hard. Yeah, I but... mean, it's, it's... I feel like... I, I kind of get getting in on that battle royale thing because it's where all the money is right now. But Final Fantasy Seven to me seems like a weird place to put a battle royale and coming out for mobile devices only. Like, what the hell?
1: very weird.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's like weird the mind. weirdest part of this is that it's just a mobile game that's a battle royale that's somehow canonically linked to Final Fantasy VII. And I'm just like, how complicated is this canon going to get?
1: How does a battle royale fit into Final Fantasy 7? no,
0: I'm not even totally sure how the how There's been comes. multiple
3: wars in the history of the uh, uh of the lore like shinra conquered basically the world i mean mm. that that was a thing and then there's also um uh, like like the story with uh, barrett and dine uh they were both fighting against shinra at one point and mm. uh we were just talking about wu tai fighting against Shinra. so
0: <clears throat> yeah so the first soldier will release on mobile later this year <laughs> Weird to me. And another mobile spinoff is coming next year called Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which is going to be a more story-driven experience, but they didn't really say anything more than that. So we've got kind of brief descriptions of these games. One's going to be a Battle Royale game that's a prequel, and one's going to be also somehow Final Fantasy VII-related and more of a story-driven game. So I assume that you're kind of going to get, like, the basic story of whatever's going on in First Soldier, uh, which is the Battle Royale one, uh, and it'll it'll kind of just, like, drop off there, and then you'll beat the shit out of 100 other guys because that's what you do in Battle Royale games. And <laughs> the other one, I guess, sounds like it might be a more traditional... I'm not really sure, because they said nothing about gameplay for, uh, for this one, but just said it would be a more story-driven experience, so... I'm not really Maybe sure what to like... make of that but i i am more interested in it because i would honestly i just got a new phone and it is super cool and it's ridiculously powerful and nobody makes games i want to play on it and i feel like it's it's a little bit wasted because like i do cool phone stuff but i'm just like do i really need 60 frames a second in pokemon go is that what what my new phone amounts to? Which, actually, it is surprisingly smooth in Pokemon Go, and I don't... It's it's so weird, like, upgrading. Because that's the only mobile game I really play anymore is Pokemon Go, and I, I don't, I, I'm not even really that hardcore in it anymore. I play, like, every few days. I'm just like, eh, what's around me? Is there any Pokemon? Or if I'm at Target, I always remember that when I'm at Target... Which is not all the time, because actually I don't go to Target very much anymore because there's a pandemic. But when I'm at Target, I remember that the Starbucks is a Poke Stop, <laughs> because every Starbucks around is a Pokestop Stop, because Starbucks said, "Hey, here's a shitload of money. Put us in your game." <laughs> Fair,
2: yeah. Great advertising,
0: it is, because it. I remember when I first saw it, it was like, uh, like. Uh, promo poke stop and like when i scanned it it was like going to starbucks for a pokemon frappuccino and i was like i got to get one! Oh my god
2: <laughs> that's just to did they make that with heard.
0: real pokemon the what, what? <laughs> oh yeah i don't remember <laughs> what it was in it it was like some sort of rainbow colored fruity thing it was pretty good i'm i'm not good at drinking starbucks whenever i go to starbucks i'm just like i want a coffee and they're like what black coffee all, all, just, just all you have to say dark.
3: is you know mocha latte chino hold the mocha hold the latte hold the chino <laughs> they're just like alright just
0: to... give you a fucking empty cup <laughs>
3: <laughs> no no I still want the coffee Just
0: <laughs> right maybe that's Speaking what I should
3: drink, yeah. I'll go grab
0: one alright well that's all of our news and booze for the day which is also was our video game topic um because it was, was a, a lot a of news doos- <laughs> that was a lot of news and booze so uh we're actually almost up to our target run time which we've been running over consistently for months <laughs> so anyways um i guess we'll wait for just a second for dan to get back uh with uh what's your plan and uh because i forgot That that was the video game topic, and I didn't play the theme song for the video game topic. I have to drink, and also I will play the theme song for the video game topic.
1: I mean, you can only really
0: play one theme song at a time.
1: Can I still drive this, even though it's flat?
0: Uh.
1: Uh, what?
0: Chris is driving a flat car.
1: I am. I also have the... We
0: have to drink, I have no idea.
1: ...feeling that...
0: So anyways, uh, that was our video game topic, and here is our video game theme song. There Whoa. It. Fancy. I wrote that tune too. Uh that's our video game topic or video game topic theme song uh because I wrote that song actually after a character in Octopath Traveler.
1: Go play the game. It's on Steam, I Go think. Go play the game. Uh,
0: <laughs> so yeah. Uh, who did you start as?
3: Um Cyrus, I want to say. And Cyrus like- is cool.
0: Oh my God, every character in this game is so fucking cool, though. Oh, my God. Why have you not sunk 400 hours into this game yet? I mean, technically, (laughs) I only sunk 120 in because I didn't grind for the end boss yet. But, you know, this is such (laughs) like if there's any game worth sinking 120 hours into this is this is it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I might be able to play it at work, maybe technically. We're not allowed to have laptops at work, and we're not allowed to have uh, computers other than our work computers, but we are allowed to have phones and tablets, and no one has commented about the fact that a Switch is not a computer yet, so...
0: A Switch is technically a tablet. It's running on more or less the same hardware as an NVIDIA Shield, which is a gaming tablet.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Switch is just
0: a gaming tablet that happens to come with controllers.
1: Right?
3: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So, so.
1: very strange conversation. <laughs> anyway, well, it's not very strange. It's still little is so going
3: to be a little strange. So shall
0: our table topic for the week? Let's do it. Alright, so the table topic for the week is the trope of NPCs... Oh, no, sorry, PC. I already screwed it up. So I'm going to rate this beer. This is actually one of the best freaking beers I've ever had on the podcast. This is at least a 16 on our scale of 3 to 17. Epic! If you are in the Denver area, go check out Burns' uh, Burns Family Artisan Ales. Uh, They're pretty close to like uh six and federal right off of there so check them out awesome place epic beers um anyways so table topic for the week is the trope of player characters having a shitload of gold so they just hand it over way too much at a time which i think in the youtube description here i kind of described as just like uh mishandling of wealth by player characters because i this is a thing that's been coming up regularly in one of my games that i play and that i've seen a lot over the years and it kind of depends on the player uh that like oh we're at the inn and 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 i order an ale and i'm such a generous and or player character and and the the guy says oh your bill is for copper because that is the bill for an ale and i i am so generous and i just hand him 10 gold and you're like you just broke the fucking economy that's what he makes in 10 fucking years man
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so it's it's like i kind of get the idea that you want to be like a generous guy but like at the same time like it's it's a little bit immersion breaking from which it, it, i have been guilty of this at different points in my DD career so it's it's not like something that i'm saying like you're wrong for doing but like when i get to thinking about it and just the way that wealth is handled sometimes by player characters it's just like if you if, what if... like take a take a step back and look at it you're just like what <laughs>
1: So what if I told you that uh, that kind of wealth disparity was more was more historically accurate than you thought?
0: I would be <laughs> interested to hear your take.
1: Uh, because it used to be that wealth disparity, like we think wealth disparity is pretty like pretty great these days. Yes, right. that's true. But wealth disparity was different. Uh, even greater, particularly in, say, times like the Middle Ages or times like early modernity. Uh,
0: That's kind of fair, but at the same time, like, would a person in those ages tip that much? Like, if it was even appropriate at all? Like, imagine you go into McDonald's where it is not expected of you to tip, and you buy a Big Mac for five bucks or so, and you give them like $25,000.
1: So that, gold... that
0: is essentially what you're doing when you're giving them like a year's worth of wages for, you know, a beer.
1: So if you, um, there used to be a historical thing called the gold to silver ratio,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, where it used to be that a silver uh basically a silver coin was uh your standard unit of currency or whatever oh crap i am one dollar short of buying this health upgrade that's no good Mm
2: -hmm. uh
1: and now you spent all your money so
0: you'll never get it
1: (laughs) yeah no yep and a gold florin uh or a gold coin a florin i think is italy specific Uh, was basically worth anywhere from 10 to 12 times a silver piece. But it wouldn't be totally out of line for, like, a silver coin to be something you'd handle in regular money, and gold being worth 10 to 12 times that much. Say I got handed 10 gold pieces, Mm -hmm. that's, like, getting tipped, like, I don't know, two thousand dollars or something like that it's not like getting twip tipped twenty thousand dollars it's a order of magnitude i guess
0: it kind of depends on on how you're actually looking at it because like in dmg i feel like it it explains that a commoner makes roughly a gold piece per year or something isn't it
1: a commoner could not support themselves off a gold piece per year if you got this is this is me doing the um the nerd yeah. thing I do where I actually go in and I model, like... That's fair. Economies. So the DMG the, the is one, full of plot holes. Fuck you, well, wizards. I think
3: <laughs> the one gold piece per year um, is actually, I think, based on uh partially on the Rokugan system where one Koku uh, was the measure of an annual wage for uh, a, a random commoner. So mm-hmm. if, uh, for example, Samurai... Uh, would be assigned from their liege lords an, an amount, a, a stipend, and this would pay for uh, whatever laborers they had under them, who they would pay the laborer one uh, gold piece, in this case, one koku per year, um, but the samurai would make like a hundred, and the liege lord might have a thousand or ten of uh, ten thousand or whatever, but with all of that being understood the commoner would still have their house where if you were going to just buy a house that might cost you know 10 or 15 koku um or or what have you it's just they wouldn't deal with it in that sort of money they would actually make it i think the average npc commoner has around 260 gold worth of possessions by one uh, estimate just based off of you know they have their house or they have their uh livestock they have their tools to apply their trade whatever and that all approximately makes about 260 gold worth but they don't necessarily have even a single copper piece to their name mm-hmm. because the coinage it, it they don't necessarily deal with that very much if they are employed then they'll probably have some form of revenue from their their leash but they still have to also keep themselves alive and feed themselves mm. so that'll be where they uh where the majority of their actual wealth is is not in coinage even though for example if you tipped them you know 10 koku that'd be like mind blowing but it's not necessarily uh more than a tenth of their wealth or a 20th of their wealth mm. in total
1: And medieval economies, and medieval and, like, early modern economies in particular, uh, coinage, as we think of it, like, the D&D economy is pretty unrealistic because cash economies weren't much of a thing. Hmm. Like, the economy was much more (laughs) goods-based. We use cash economies because they're convenient for, like, game... They're, like, good for gameplay. They're not particularly realistic. Right.
3: Yeah, like... Uh, in the Roman period, uh, the soldiers would be paid in salt. And they could take that salt and either use it to you know, season meat so that they would be able to keep it for extended periods of time, or they could just trade bags of salt for whatever other goods that they would uh, want or that they would need. And so trade goods were vastly more common uh, in the colonial period. Uh, in the Americas, uh, fur trade was one of the popular ways that, you know, furs could be used to make basically everything. Mm-hmm. You would need furs at some point or another in the production process. And so furs were valuable both to the natives and to the uh, uh, European colonists who would exchange these things for other things that they would need from uh, more specialized uh, producers.
2: hmm
1: yeah. So and, and another thing is uh it makes sense that if you're an adventurer and what you've done like let's say you're like a level 1 adventurer you've set off from like you're just starting out you're not particularly wealthy and then you stumble upon a great amount of money as like successful D&D adventurers tend to do it makes sense that you'd be really crazy generous with your money and do things like totally fuck up the wage economy of <laughs> a local town for a while.
0: Yeah. But I think- kind of makes sense for like a uh, immediate like la- Like if you win the lottery, right. That kind of thing, you might, you might fuck around with your money for a bit, but um, so do you think it changes if you're like, cause that's like immediate wealth gain. And then you have that immediate generosity as kind of your, like, response to that. What about, like, an adventurer who's been a regular adventurer for five or ten levels that's just been ridiculously rich the whole time? At that point, is it still normal to just be like, oh, yeah, here's 50 gold for you, Mr. Barman, who gave me a beer? (laughs) Uh,
1: I would say that's not normal, but you're basic you're going to see a new barman the next time you come in maybe <laughs> or maybe that barman's always going to like fight other people to uh you know serve you cuz he knows that well you tip
2: right
3: it, it reminds I think me of that uh... actually that would
0: be an interesting thing to work into your campaigns as a dm when you when your players act like this cuz cuz <laughs> i i think most of my objection to the, uh, this is not necessarily that it's like stupid unrealistic or anything it's just that like it seems like it's it's a little bit that it's unrealistic, and I forgot what the fuck I was saying.
1: <laughs> I so think that I means you have. to right? <laughs> I, yeah.
0: I
3: got the um, I got the it, sign here. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of uh, the, Skyrim. They had the system for uh, like emergent uh, gameplay or emergent uh, story options where. One of the things was, if you drop a valuable item in front of an NPC, they might ask you, you know, are you going to pick that up, or can I have that, or something like that? Um, And uh, one of the things that would happen, if you drop a ridiculously valuable thing in, in front of two NPCs, there was a small chance that they would fight to the death over it. And so I think that might be an interesting gameplay thing as a DM to say that basically, you know, the the rogues in the town have heard that, you know, you're flippantly handing out money to every bar wench who uh, has a pretty face. And so they try to rough you up. And of course, that is not going to work out well for the town rogues. But um, uh, then... They might also just start roughing people up who you have tipped if they're not getting their fair cut of it. And you might have to, you know, uh, actually explain to the NPCs why you are giving these generous tips. Because every time you give a ridiculously generous tip, they get visited by the mob at night, and that kind of sucks. It does frustrate me almost constantly when my uh, players will do different things and just drop ridiculously expensive things on NPCs. But uh, uh, on the other hand, in at least one of our campaigns, uh, my, my Blood Mage definitely did intentionally break the economy of everything around him so that he could dominate it and make gold effectively worthless. And so now, if you have some of his uh, exotic coinage that he produces and he considers valuable, then you can buy his goods and services, which include, among other things, like wishes and random Your
2: crap real, like that. Cryptocurrency.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Like you want to be Sky immortal? Game got you can buy that? But.
0: Like so far later on Switch from its original release, that like now that now that's like Switch is the normal, like the, it comes with no paperwork. There's no map. There's no <laughs> manual. Th- this this game has been reprinted so many times that the times have changed that much. Like I was I was gonna complain that it has no map because the Xbox three sixty version came with this badass map and stuff. But 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 the Switch version doesn't even come with a manual. I miss opening a new game and sniffing the instructions.
1: Uh I think that's we're we're beginning to become products of a bygone era. <laughs> doing that.
0: Right? Yeah. Who the hell sniffs um, the instructions anymore?
1: <laughs> Felix. Is it weird
2: it was, that I like,
0: have two Skyrim cases within reach?
3: Knowing you, not really. Um, <laughs> have you heard about uh, the Beyond Skyrim uh, mod series?
0: No, I don't really follow the mods much. the The only mod I got was I got the Switch version that comes with Zelda shit, which is cool. But that's official. <laughs> that is <so laughs> just like yeah. okay.
3: Um, but Plus, the, actually, the, the motion Skyrim. controls
0: in that game are surprisingly like not bad because it's like you can pull back your bowstring with the joy cons and that's just like super fun (laughs) and then like with your master sword and shield it's just like look at me i actually have like legit motion control sword and board mechanics they're pretty fun (laughs)
2: nice
0: it's not super in depth or overwhelming but it's just one of those games that's actually pretty fun to play with split joy con
3: definitely um but yeah the beyond skyrim uh mod series they're working on incorporating the rest of uh the of the world into the skyrim uh, world to be explorable so the first one i think they released was beyond skyrim bruma where you can just go to bruma over in cyrodiil and they have uh, more quests and more stuff that you can do Um, but it's obviously in skyrim so mm-hmm. Personally, again, I want a, a fully explorable world where I can go from Morrowind to, to Skyrim to Cyrodiil to wherever.
2: Right.
0: One of these days, they won't do it because they're still working on Elder Scrolls 6. <laughs> they <laughs> announced, like, so many years ago now. Like, how many years ago was it? It was, like, I think that was before the Switch launched. Yes. So I think that was like E3 2015 or 2016.
3: Uh, oh, 2018. It says they, so
0: it yeah, they announced it.
3: The so, okay. <laughs> uh, legitimately, w- we are talking about Bethesda and sometimes <laughs> they will just not announce something, even though they are working on it. Cause they're like, well, we don't want to announce it. If we don't have like devoted teams working on it, we will, be working on it in the background or whatever, but not necessarily uh, going to give you any definitive launch schedule because we're working on a million different things at any given time.
0: Right. I mean, sometimes game companies do that too, because you can tell that lately, especially Nintendo has done that, because like last year, they pretty much announced like nothing at the start of the year and then they just, like, drop a trailer for something randomly on YouTube and be like, Paper Mario's coming out in a month. (laughs) They're making a new Hyrule Warriors in a month, two months. What? You're giving me no time to hype, man, but that makes me more hype somehow. What the hell? (laughs) It's awesome. It's the
3: theory of instant gratification or something like that.
0: Yeah, something, because it's just like, I tell hey, you, I, there's yeah, going here's to be... Some hype, here's a hype, here's another trailer, here's a character, here's some DLC, whatever, and you're just like, okay, I, I was gonna buy it in the first place, shut up and take my money! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, will,
1: go ahead, I would Christian. say the truly unrealistic thing about the D&D economy is having level 1 and level 20 people in the same world together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, That kind of throws everything off, because uh, it's not just wealth, it's the fact that one person can alter reality with their mind several times a day, and the other person farms. (laughs) Kind kind of a...
3: Yeah, I I think I phrased a theory at one point that uh, level one wizards should not exist in the wild. Like... any of their statistics would tell you the average encounter would kill them. Like if they were legitimately going into battle, uh, they have to have someone who is more powerful than an average level one encounter in order to be able to overpower it and save them in order for them to physically exist. Um, then
0: you'd have to shoehorn in like some sort of crazy, like cringy, uh like story element about everything revolves around a school and and it would end up just being fire emblem three houses or harry potter or or something like or final (laughs) fantasy eight i was playing that and it was like uh, final fantasy eight i felt like was really bad about that it's just like look at us we're going to monster hunting college or some shit (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> I, I, I don't have time for your shit. Hold on. I mean, no, un- I'm installing so, I'm, I'm were... going to play a classic it, game, it's going to yeah. be Resident Evil because apparently that's on Game Pass. So. Yeah, yeah,
3: legitimately, the clear delineation of monster-infested areas and civilization is another world-breaking dynamic about most Dungeons & Dragons games. Uh, games where you can just oh we'll just go over into the forest over there where the evil bugbears live and you know we'll just fight some things and get higher levels so that we can defeat this warlord here in town but otherwise as long as we stay in town for some reason this exists Um, I think I, I voiced a theory at one point that humans exist apparently we have to drink he's holding up the sign
0: yeah, sorry. While you were mentioning that, I, I I remembered that I because we delayed the theme song for the video game topic, I realized I forgot to play the theme song for the table topic. So finish mm-hmm. your thoughts, and then and then there will be a theme song.
3: But uh, the theory was that humans exist solely because. For whatever reason, monsters, like vampires specifically, prey on them for their life force. And so they're essentially farmed. So they're, they're free roaming, but they're essentially farmed for more powerful monsters to devour their life force at some point or another. And that's the only reason civilizations of level one human commoners exist in the presence of, say, the Red Dragon on the Hill.
1: I uh, almost... Dan, I almost wonder a... if you would like Carcosa.
3: Carcosa,
0: you say?
1: Yeah, it was a setting on... Kind of a Lovecraft mythos setting on an alien planet where humans were basically Stone Age equivalent, but could pilfer things like space alien technology and get strong that way.
3: <laughs> it might be interesting.
0: But, uh... uh you know. yeah, I talk to a guy that ran like a LARP community one time, and he had a similar idea to that in the LARP campaign that he was doing at the time. And I, it sounded super interesting actually. And I wanted to go and I, I didn't end up going, uh, but, uh, he, he actually like to, in, in order to promote this, like, I guess he had like a place that you would go to and like pay a fee to run through the LARP campaign or something, which sounded like a kind of a neat little business. And he gave me a business card for it, but the business card was like an in-character business card. And it was for this in-character corporation called the, called Sable, which was, uh, uh another, uh, acronym for The Society for Alternative Bloodletting. And so the 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 idea was that like this vampire cult had like struck a deal with these townsfolk that if they come and donate their blood, then the vampires won't eat them. So it was like that's that's actually was a kind of a but anyways I, I forgot the theme song. So here's the theme song. This I I just realized that playing the theme songs live every week is could potentially get hilarious because the further we go into the podcast, the more drunk I am, and
3: <laughs> can't imagine why that
1: happens.
0: I don't know. It's probably not because I keep drinking this eleven percent beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, eleven yeah. percent.
0: Actually, it's guess- not. This is not very high considering how how high these guys go. Because at the beer tasting I was at, uh, I think the average was around eighteen. Because <laughs> we because st- they're all like barrel aged stouts, right? And and <laughs> like they started off with like just the stout by itself that. Uh, normally they don't sell because they make it specifically just a barrel age, but they gave that for, for the purpose of the tasting to just kind of see this is what it is like characteristically before it even goes into the barrel, which, and it was, it was super interesting. And then they, they do all sorts of different things like a, a single barrel, a double barrel, and a triple barrel aged different versions of it. And they had a couple of different versions of it that had been like sitting in bottle conditioning for 15 years and 18 years. And as like, Oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Um, and I think the, the last one topped out at 21% or something. So that was a good beer tasting night. <laughs> Check out Burns. They're amazing. And this white stout is actually really, Oh my God, this is super good. Um, yeah, I I never imagined that Chardonnay barrels would be like one of this is like legit one of the best beers I've ever had. This is amazing. Wow, mm. wow! I'm gonna pop this up to a 17. Actually, this is a 17 beer. I've had not an eight. yeah, not an 18. Occasionally, we break the rule and have an 18 because like if you the so the the basis for our stat system, our beer rating system is it's three to 17 because in D and D. When you're creating a character, you roll D six to get a random number between three and eighteen, except for most of the time if you get an eighteen, you're cheating. So we only give beers eighteen if they're worth cheating for. And this is this is really close to that. So um so so I'm gonna pop this up to a seventeen, which is the highest score it can get without cheating. So it's very good beer. Mm. Anywho, is that all we have to say on this table topic? Or is there any last thoughts you have on spending gold unrealistically or uh, just, just kind of the ways that PCs treat their wealth?
3: Um, I am in one campaign right now uh, where essentially we have this town and we just got attacked and driven out of town and so we have to uh, get along in the wilds and one of the biggest limiting factors for us right now is we just don't have the supplies to do hardly anything like my character is a leather worker and when we go hunting we get like a couple of rabbits or w- maybe we get a deer or something like that and it takes us like five days to tan a hide um but then we have one hide how many suits of armor can you make from one hide you ask well you probably have to have like a dozen different hides to make all the leather um depending on what kind of animal you you get it from so at this point um the uh Even the the wealth of how much, say, a a piece of armor costs is kind of skewed based on having that just ubiquitously available in the given area. Mm -hmm. So, if anything, it's... We might have coins, but it wouldn't even matter for what we actually need the wealth for. We need... The stuff, the trade goods that mm. you never hear about. Um and, yeah, that's an uh, interesting
0: way to handle it. That doesn't like in in most campaigns. You know, I I think that's a length that's like you you ha- you have to go to an extra length as a DM to like make it work that way. So I think it's easier to take the cop out route and just like. <laughs> Yeah, uh, goods and services based on the DMG or, or, you know, whatever
1: Uh, player's (laughs) handbook. Uh, And a lot of the I will a lot of yeah, a lot of economic things are going to get brushed over because D&D is a game built around the cash economy. mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, at the end
0: of the day, it's also really a game that doesn't really have anything to do with the economy at all. The economy kind of has to be there for an interim thing to do sometimes, and for the sake of power balancing gear as you level up. But that's really the only mechanical reason that there's any economy at all.
3: Yeah, Um, I think the spell goods and services is one of the most broken things too, where it's just like, oh, you know. F- uh, Freddy died so I guess we have to go back into town and spend a ubiquitous amount of gold on getting the local cleric to revive him from the dead um, and then he's going to have lost a level uh, and so w- we'll have to just take some diamond dust that we have
0: no bro it's just easier if I create a new character it's okay <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right <laughs> uh,
3: yeah yeah it, uh, the availability of magic in the system breaks yeah, all. Sometimes
0: that's kind of a. I, I feel like we could have another discussion on that about like uh, once you're past a certain level, it's like TPK or nothing matters.
1: <laughs> uh, and in some cases, TPK and still not a lot matters. Uh, right,
0: yeah, because I, I actually kind a lot of get... uh, Like Phoenix Down and Quadra Magic or whatever.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to bring up a uh case that just happened this last sunday that's i'm still kind of smarting from is a uh, mike in uh sorry everyone in my group but uh i was we encountered an enemy who had a uh shack and he was like a bomb making enemy so of course i was like fuck it blow up the house right mm-hmm. uh What I didn't know, and what I probably should have suspected, was that he had a very big bomb in that house that actually wiped all of us. Mm -hmm. But we all had various methods for immortality. Like, some of us had magic jars. Uh, Some of us had, like... Breath
0: of life brings back the cleric, and he fixes everybody
1: else. Yeah. (laughs) Some So so everyone was able to come back to life. The big loss was the magic items. Hmm uh but just the fact that i could blow up a house and reduce the entire area to cinders and uh including me and everyone in the party and that we would be like oh and that our biggest loss would be like oh we lost our magic items Mm -hmm. uh kind of uh incredible Mm -hmm.
3: Wish can figure those magic items out anyway, right?
1: Right.
0: (laughs) So
3: as soon as you're able to throw those like candy.
1: Trust me, I spent a lot of the week (laughs) figuring out uh, how to get back some of what we lost.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, with that, I think we're more or less already slightly off topic of the table topic. So uh, shall we go to our closing topics by which sure. I mean the uh, closing segment of the podcast is where we uh, kind of uh, wrap up, uh, talk about, you know, just, just kind of plug our various things, uh, and uh, the, then we talk about just inane bullshit until we saw something really awkward and I cut off the podcast. Uh, so mm. uh, our glorious guest, oh, damn, everybody can find you on Twitter. Do you do anything else that you want to plug? D- did you ever finish that webcomic?
3: Uh, so the webcomic is currently on hiatus. I, uh... You ever
0: make more than I two em- pages?
3: See what? No, that- I I did make uh, several pages at one point, but uh, I have uh, I have been meaning to get back to that, but the long and the short of it is that my book has morphed and reformed several times over then, so the idea behind the webcomic was just that I would make a weekly... Uh, contribution, uh which I actually bought a desk again. So that will help me to be able to draw at a desk and that mm. is kind of one of the keys for me to kind of be motivated to put it into a mm-hmm. webcomic form. Yeah. Um but I, uh yeah I, I the idea is
0: once which which was the oh no this is the title pending one. This this is for my old YouTube channel. Uh <laughs> <that's the wrong laughs> title I pending. Was, I was looking for the uh drink to the past. There's the drink to the past one. Uh, there we go <laughs> uh, yeah i get a triforce and, and there's me i got oh, no no oh, hold on it's it's backwards on the stream i had to <laughs> point my finger in the right direction there's me i got my i got my bear and, and chris I was over here with his giant ass mage book there you go i, I, I believe that it
2: says about chris.
3: It's kind of blurry
0: RPG. You never heard of that. Sounds like Chris.
3: <laughs>
2: uh,
0: what
3: Do you want to play some random RPG? We've never heard of.
0: Yeah, uh, on yeah. Camera. We can actually do. Chris brings a thing. You got a random RPG. You want to plug? Uh,
1: let, let me go over. I I'm pretty sure. Actually, I know just what to pick. I looked over at my shelf. Hold on.
3: Yeah. Speaking of which though, um, have you seen, uh, I guess, when our older brother updated the Minecraft server that uh, uh, he has, uh, he added some mods, and theoretically one of them is to be able to roll dice and stuff. Hmm. So I think uh, we might be able to host some kind of D&D night uh, with us on his uh, Minecraft server in Minecraft. And he has... It, if you haven't seen the pub it's amazing. You should definitely play uh on the Minecraft server with yeah, us. I That's probably that what I'm while, going to do cuz
0: I kind of set it up so that my 6-year-old could play uh, cuz he was kind of getting into Minecraft or at least the idea of it and I think he would have a lot of fun if he but he's he has some difficulty figuring out twin stick first-person controls and and you have to be a little more exact in minecraft than any other twin stick game he ever has played so far because it's so i think it's just the fact that the twin sticks and being in first person and the exactness of it and and all the somewhat complicated mechanics of minecraft coming together are just a little overwhelming for him at the age that he currently is. And and personally, I don't play a lot of Minecraft. And it's not that I don't like it. It's that I'm always... Like, I always kind of get, like, stuck in a groove of, like... This is the game I play when the kids are awake. And this is the game that I play when the kids are asleep. Because it's got a lot of blood and gore and shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, recently, I've been playing Burnout Paradise while they are awake. And maybe I'll get back on Minecraft because actually somebody else was talking to me about playing Minecraft too. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll get back to playing that a little more. Cause I've kind of like had a, I've almost had my time with Burnout Paradise. Cause it's like, they took away Crash Party and I'm like, why, why would Burnout take away the best part of Burnout? But it's like, it's not bad. It's, it's a fun game and it's got, you know, it does well what it does well, so. But
2: uh, anyway, yeah, is, Chris uh, a random
1: RPG. Chris brings a thing.
0: Chris brings a
1: thing. I, I don't know if this is the right way around for you guys on the other end here because my own camera is reversing me. But the is Stygian it? Library by Emmy Allen, whose name is not on the cover. Uh, mm-hmm. she ended up writing two uh kind of random dungeons that I think are some of the few random dungeons in D&D that actually work in play quickly. Because you the things you roll, you can roll up fast, and then you don't have to waste a bunch of time uh, generating a bunch of stuff at the table. It's just a few rolls, and then you're done.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh... That's
1: convenient.
0: Didn't we make a system like that?
3: Well, at one point I I did have <laughs> uh my first campaign session be basically all right, ready, go. And everyone was like, What? We haven't even made characters, but uh based on role play, I just assigned everybody their stats and assigned everybody their that is cool artwork though, Chris. Um uh I, I assigned everybody their their class and abilities based on how they would role play but it was the first session was just specifically designed to be introduce you to the world and introduce you to the problem which is befacing the world and we'll figure out you know what kind of characters you are from there so that it's more immersive more role playing and less min-maxing so that you have 17 first-level spells per day at first level.
0: That kind of reminds me of a, a kind of a interesting... Uh, I, I saw it in, like, a meme or something that gave me this idea for a campaign that basically uh, you, like, every player is a pre-established character, but they all have amnesia. So the DM oh, has yeah. all the character sheets... And then, like, as they role play, they find out new things about themselves. Like, oh, I'm going to attempt to break down the door, and I say, roll a strength check. Okay, I roll my uh, D twenty. It's a, it's a six. I hope I have a good bonus. Your bonus is negative two. Oh shit, I'm like a wizard, <laughs> you know, and and uh-huh. weird mechanical shit. Like, and then like uh, different, and even to go as far as like, you go into the bar, and you're like, oh, I'd like an ale, and the barman's like, oh, we don't serve your kind here. What do you mean? fuck you you dragonborn wait am a dragonborn and, and things like that so i, I started preparing a one shot like that uh, cuz i thought it'd be fun but uh uh so chris tell us more about this system what's its kind of unique draw and uh do you so this it? is
1: this is a module uh kind kind of cool. or kind of like a module make, maker it's hmm. about an area it, it's you can run it in like pretty much in a D&D, although, you know, some editions are easier than others. Uh, Easier to run it in, like, basic or, like, fifth edition than it is to run it in, say, fourth. Okay, so it's Uh,
0: D&D agnostic, but not quite system agnostic?
1: Yeah. Uh, But best with games where uh, money equals experience kind of thing. Makes sense. Uh, But it's... Basically, any library that's big enough uh, usually has a door, sometimes hidden, sometimes not, in the back. Where if you open that door, you enter an extra-dimensional space called the Stygian Library. And you can go deeper and deeper into this place, and everywhere is lined with bookshelves. We're going into the
0: restricted section!
1: Yes. (laughs) And you can always go deeper or try and find your way back. Uh, and there's all sorts of different rooms and creatures and things you can encounter. Hmm. Uh, and anytime time you go into the library, it's never the same twice. Like, certain things you can- because you're always approaching it from a different angle. Sometimes you, like, you'll enter the lobby of one area and proceed down and you'll encounter totally new things that you didn't see before. Hmm. Uh, but it's got. I
0: like that because uh, it, it reminds me conceptually of like uh, certain Zelda dungeons where it's like got kind of multiple ways to approach it. Um, and that's something that I feel like you don't see much in tabletop games because most of the time, tabletop games are like uh, you know, you go to the dungeon and it has an entrance or maybe a back door. <laughs> it's it's kind of it, and and occasionally a weird like tertiary entrance where I stick my head out the toilet and breathe acid at somebody. But,
2: <laughs> that, that's
0: a particular reference <laughs> had to be there, I think.
2: No,
1: uh, that's that Chris, were you so there for you, that one. I was running that one. Yeah, he were was you? the DM.
0: Okay. I was I, the DM. I think Dan was the DM for some reason.
1: Uh No,
3: no. <laughs> no, I I was, no, a I forget what I was doing, but. Because
0: we were all homebrew uh, classes, so I was my blue oh, mage. I...
3: I might have been playing. Uh... I made a variation of the uh, Diablo 2 Rogue class. Hmm. Rogue, I think. Anyway, um, and Did so you hear the she rogue could. class is
0: like... coming back in Diablo 4?
3: I heard because the rogue
0: class actually was not in Diablo 2 it was only in Diablo 1. Hmm. It was Maybe not Assassin in Diablo class, 2 or 3. Thinking.
3: Yeah, assassin was in uh uh in 2 and it had the ability to like summon traps and different stuff and so th- they would have like shadow magic or something. Mm-hmm. And I I'm running around and I've got all my homebrew stuff and all of a sudden Sean elongates his head and bites someone else's head off.
0: I did cuz I was like something was going wrong in the town and like we were investigating houses and 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 I guess Chris must have been the DM even though for some reason in my memory it was Dan I can't I can't figure mm. it. that's weird but yeah, yeah he's that's... like oh yeah you come up to this house and like the window's on the second floor and and one of my abilities from my homebrew class is that I have like stretchy limbs like Luffy in One Piece and I'm just like I'm going to extend my neck up like uh 10 feet so that I can see in the window and I just scared the fuck out of this town's person and they were just like screaming their head off and I'm just like oh I need you to be silent oh and I just just ate their head I just like crit or something I don't remember it I just like one shot them. That's <laughs> fucking hilarious yeah
1: I still need to i would still like to finish running that at some point
0: yeah let's get back to that i guess i i was thinking about my blue mage class and some of my other homebrew stuff the other day and i would i would like to play some more of that character because just just for the wacky stupid things i do it would be awesome uh <clears throat> but, yeah Alright, so we didn't finish plugging ourselves, so let's finish that at least, and then we can get to the inane bullshit. Uh, So my name is Spamoman, as always, your host of Drink to the Past. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Spamoman, oh, Spam, and uh, on TwoGuysPlayingZelda.com as Spamoman, as well as TGPZGaming.com as Spamoman, writing various uh, opinion articles there, um, I'm thinking of one, I, I was kind of talking about one that I had an idea for last week, and I still haven't got around to writing it, but, uh, my latest piece up there is about Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, and what it kind of means for the gaming landscape as a whole, and its kind of take on mental health is, uh, very interesting to me, uh, and it's, uh, a little bit of a shameless plug to get you to go play that game, because that game is just great if you have not played hellblade then definitely go check it out um you can find dan on twitter at rajwar and apparently he doesn't have a webcomic yet currently so yeah eventually (laughs) i
3: might get that website back up if you want a webcomic uh if you look up at whimsy inc uh she's a good friend of mine she does a webcomic called tess and jack about a, uh, a booze-drinking yeah. cowgirl and her robot friend Dude, go on h- hilarious hijinks. Yeah, you you would love that webcomic. All right, I might so, check So, at Whimsy Inc.
0: Yeah. And, of um, course, my good old compatriot, Chris.
1: Hi, I'm Chris. Uh, no, seriously, don't believe what you've seen in the last two hours. I don't actually suck at this game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on... Drive through RPG. Uh, I wrote House of Flowers and co wrote Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition. Uh, you can pick those up for pay what you want, and you should also pick up my co author stuff while you're at it, because uh, his stuff is good even though you have to pay money for it. We are also on itch.io, and uh, on- honestly, itch.io I-, I think would be the preferred platform to pick stuff up off of if you're going to pick stuff up stuff up i think it's a better slightly better platform but pick it up wherever you want yeah so
0: definitely check them out um i haven't done much with either i've done a little bit with drive-through rpg because that's where i got carbine jungle which uh we have uh, one of the developers of the carbine jungle uh rule system on here at one point plugging their new uh thing they call mission decks which is actually a pretty cool thing so check them out at carbine jungle on twitter uh the mission decks are kind of a cool thing they make them for their system carbine jungle as well as fifth edition and it's basically a deck of cards that uh can dm for you so you draw the card to figure out kind of what happens next a little bit it's this kind of an oversimplification check out their kickstarter has all the information on that um they are kickstarted um so uh i believe they're available now i would i would have to check to be sure if i'm not sure if they're like can just be purchased yet or what but definitely check them out uh he's a cool guy on twitter as well so just 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 give him a follow He You know, post some cool uh, uh, memes and stuff. He's a good guy. Anywho, that brings us to the final segment of the podcast. Finally, after two hours and 12 minutes. What the fuck? 90-minute runtime, my ass. But... (laughs) But uh, we, we are now here to the final stretch of the podcast, which is the part where we talk about inane bullshit until somebody says something really awkward. So, because we skipped the what whatcha playing segment, uh, why don't we go with that? Because I had something to say, and now I don't remember what game I was going to talk about. Um, while Dan is here, actually, I could talk about Ghost of Tsushima a little bit, because uh, actually, my good buddy Dan here is my brother, and uh, he bought me that for Christmas, and that was cool. Um, so, Ghost of Tsushima, uh, I've been playing as my, uh, the kids are asleep now game for uh, (laughs) a while now. Um, I've talked about it a few times on the podcast, but, uh, this last week I completed the first act. I believe there's three, but I'm not like, I haven't beat the game yet or anything, so I'm not totally sure, but I beat the first act and it's, I kind of like how the way it works is basically you kinda it's a large open world. It's it's big and so it, it feels very nicely explorable anyway. And then once you get through act one, it kind of opens up another big section of the world. And then I assume once there's kind of three sections on the map, so I assume once I get through act two it'll open up the third section. Uh but I haven't got there yet. So it's it's kind of hard to tell. But I assume that's what's kind of going on here. So I feel like that alleviates a little bit of the problem that some people had with Breath of the Wild. I didn't have this problem with Breath of the Wild, but some people have the problem that Breath of the Wild is a little too much, like, you can just go fight the final boss from the start of the game, all the other content is superfluous. So this is kind of like, it still has almost that openness of Breath of the Wild, but you have to like complete certain objectives to get the next part of the world and the next part of the world and then finally beat the game so i think for people that had that gripe with breath of the wild this would be a very good recommendation uh and in general this would be a very good recommendation because it's just really fun to just like chop the heads off of mongols willy-nilly um (laughs) is mongols a racial slur
1: uh, no, Mongols, I think, are, like, actually that's, a group of
0: people. Yeah, that's that's just, yeah. like, the regular, normal, like, you don't have to say
1: Mongolian, right? Mongolian, that's... I think, is, like, a proper... You're, you're thinking of Mongoloid, which is an entirely different thing.
0: Okay, because I... I... I got like kind of confused with that because I was like, they just call them Mongols in uh, the game. And so I thought it was normal. And then I was explaining part of the game to my wife and she was like, can you say Mongols? Is that a racial slur? And I was like, I never thought yeah. about it that way. I'm not sure. Am I a bad person?
1: Mongoloid might be depending on the context. <laughs> I think mm. it may have also been a medical term at one point,
0: but it, it is actually really cool. Uh, Cause it's like, uh, it is based on the actual Mongol history or Japanese history technique, whichever way you want to look at it, of Khan Khan uh, invading the island of Tsushima in order to hopefully conquer Japan. And I don't think he did that because the hero in this story is the samurai guy. So I assume I'm going to beat him, but I'm not very well read on that. Part. And, 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 and also to this day, Japan is not... Under Mongol control that I know of, but I also don't know uh, much about Japanese.
1: I well, mean, Mon-
0: the a Mongol of-
1: Empire kind of rose suddenly and collapsed pretty quickly. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting part of history. Mm-hmm. But
0: yeah, uh, and so actually, I'm learning a fairly good bit about it because one of the collectibles that you find is like just Mongolian artifacts, and it's like it gives you a description of every little random thing like mongolian musical instrument or uh you know uh their battle plans and how they would go about writing tactical plans and stuff like that and so it's it's really cool just kind of getting this little bit of uh historical kind of background on on the game that i'm playing as well um and also now that i've beat that first act. I'm also, this is like the first time in a long, long time that I've like been completing all of the side quests and stuff and side content that I can while I'm playing the game. Cause I've had, you know, I've had a decent good few, uh, games where I like, I like it so well that I want it to keep going. So I just go back and do the side content after I've beaten the main story and stuff like that. Um, but like, I don't remember the last time I just other than Final Fantasy VII Remake last year, I don't remember the last time that I, like, sat down and, like, just went, like, every single side quest out. Because now that I've beat that first chapter, I'm just going around the island, like, collecting collectibles, finding side quests, doing the side quests. Because the side quests are, like, very well constructed from a gameplay perspective. And, uh from a story perspective as well, because they're also another little thing that give you a little kind of hint into the way Japanese folklore came about at the time and things like that. Because, like, you'll have, like, a bandit... It'll end up that bandits are raiding camps at night, but, like, the people will, like, get superstitious about it and be like, oh, people are disappearing in this forest at night. It must be spirits or the you know, stuff like that, and, um, you know, somebody mentioned the Kappa, which is a Japanese, uh, monster in folklore, which I, I have ironically heard of because, um, it was supposed to, like, foretell earthquakes or something, uh, And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that I learned on River Monsters, which is an interesting fishing show with uh, Jeremy Wade as this biologist that goes fishing and uh, checks out interesting facts about uh, these monsters of legend and tries to discern the actual origin of the monsters of legend. And he thinks the kappa was actually a large catfish native to Japan that uh, because of it's 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 just kind of more in tune to the tremors in the earth would like react to earthquakes much sooner than a human would feel them uh and and that so i i thought this was just cool to see the you know the every little bit of this game is is just like just bursting with lore and and it's all grounded in reality it's so cool plus there's lots of blood and death (laughs)
3: Um,
0: what you playing Dan
3: so currently I'm playing uh, Minecraft I'm working on different things Um, one of these days I would like to get a uh, fully functional redstone airship uh, going Mm -hmm. that will just be able to fly forward and it's, it's complicated to work it out I've got it technically functional but it would currently work on timings that short version it's it's not practical but i want to have a full shaped uh uh airship actually fly itself uh with all the uh, appropriate timings um and i i think it is possible so i am continuing to work on that but also i'm just doing random things like planting and shaping trees in order to make my portal look like it's overgrown uh in the nether um but What you were talking about kind of reminded me of the archaeology portion of World of Warcraft, where uh, in the Cataclysm expansion, you can go to archaeological dig sites and uh, retrieve artifacts, and some of them will give you in-game bonuses. Like uh, That's how uh, my character uh, learned to turn himself into a dragon and fly around. Um <laughs> so uh, but it also goes into the lore of the the universe a lot more, and it allows you to see the past and what happened you know tens of thousands of years before and whatnot mm. through exploring the different uh lore of these different cultures through well essentially complete side quests like the whole archaeology thing is a side quest to world of Warcraft,
0: mm-hmm sounds neat um i i remember a little bit about when they introduced archaeology but world of warcraft for me was never a game i really got into much of the lore i remember like just i i mostly played it because everybody i knew was playing it and i was just like i'll be included okay i'm gonna i'm <laughs> gonna kill stuff
2: yeah
3: i love how good
0: as i can
3: <laughs> it we're stab gar slash gar flame gar and later he made a, a Stabgar Ina. And I think the description in our guild for who this character was, uh, was, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a female version of Stabgar.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I also had, uh, later on when they made Undead able to play Hunter class, I made Shotgar. Oh,
3: yeah. Shotgar. <laughs> uh,
0: so I, yeah, I had Stabgar slash Gar. Shotgar, and, of course, my warrior, formerly Jack. So just, just to break the pattern. Yeah. Actually, formerly Jack was my first character, and then I just never leveled him up for a long time because I, at the time that I made him, I really didn't understand the mechanics of tanking and DPS and all that, and, and I decided I just really wanted to just, like, focus on smashing and killing shit and dealing damage. And then... When they introduced the dungeon queue finder thing, like, you could just, like, push a button and find a group automatically online with, like, basically matchmaking for co-op. And it was cool. Uh, I was like, hey, I could do that to level up my warrior as long as I've got him. And he's already like a little bit specked into doing tank stuff. So I, I could figure that out. And then I, I actually ended up having a crap load of fun after I kind of understood the mechanics of it. But still, it's just, it was a game that I really only kind of ever cared about. It was like, like I had fun with it. But it like, if it wasn't for other people playing the game with me, I really would never have got into WoW
3: at all. Oh, yeah.
0: I remember I was really pissed when everybody started playing WoW because that was like our group that played Dungeons and Dragons online and they abandoned yeah. me. And I was like, I don't want to play WoW. We already have a good MMO.
3: <laughs> they <laughs> abandoned me too. I was just ready to start, <laughs> start raiding and they're like, oh, and now we're playing a new game now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Chris, what you playing this week?
1: Uh, Other than this game, which is going under, which I'm playing, like, the true roguelike mode of the game, which is significantly harder,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, as you can see, than the main storyline of the game, Uh, I've been playing Minecraft, and I've been playing a lot of Dota 2.
0: Oh, yeah, actually, I played my first game of a couple of games of Dota 2 with you, actually, since the last time we had a podcast. Um, yeah, and that that was all right. That was interesting. It reminds me a bit of League, but I love that you can just have all the characters instead of buggering around with all this microtransaction bullshit.
2: <laughs> I'm like,
1: yeah. So, D- Dota Two is definitely, I think, in some ways, it's an easier game to get into than League, in that you have every character unlocked from the mm. start. You, you never have to like unlock the yeah. game as you play it.
0: The only and little bit of problem with that is that it's like a little bit overwhelming for a new player to try and read them. through all these characters to be like, does this ability combination sound interesting? Does this sound like my playstyle? Does it in sound in a easy ways, to play? It so it's yeah, it's it's got in a lot of ways bit the
1: game's harder to get into too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, there's a, a much higher learning curve for <laughs> Dota two than there is for League.
3: That's kind of a problem with uh, competitive Pokemon where, you know, you have all of these options and someone somewhere will have done math and have figured out the exact perfect way to build their team and to train them, level them up, give them different move sets. And if you're just a casual player, you flatly will not be competitive at that game. You you will lose almost the
0: entire
1: The entire time.
0: Yeah, I used to do a little bit of online Pokemon in X and Y online. I would go online and do triple battles, and it was really cool because I came up with two teams that were actually pretty good, surprisingly, because one of them was six water Pokemon, and one of them was six fire Pokemon. And ordinarily in a team of, especially in triple battles, you really need to diversify your kind of Pokemon – but in these two teams, I had a very diverse move pool so I could like I could be effective in any situation. But after a certain, po- like after I killed your like one or two Pokemon that were good against water types, like I would just tank the hell out of everything else you tried to throw at me. So it was okay, right? So it, in, in an interesting way, it kind of worked. Uh, but then I remember when Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire came out, I kind of transferred my Pokémon up to this game because it was basically it was still Gen 6 but it was now the new part. It was like Gen 6.5 basically. So it's it's still using the Gen 6 engine. It's still using Mega Evolution as the big mechanic at the time and I'm like, "All right, so I but the the big thing that it changed though was that uh, one of my things that I did was to an extent I controlled the weather with Mega Charizard and with uh, a actually one of the, actually no I didn't I didn't do anything with my water team but one of the problems that they did add with this game was that in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire you had. Uh, I- The primal version of Kyogre and Groudon, which had like weather effects like sunny day or rainy, whatever the rain one was called. But it was automatic as soon as the Pokemon was out in its primal form. And it was like better than regular weather so that regular weather moves couldn't affect it at all. And it would literally make like if they throw out a Kyogre with the super rain effect fire moves don't work and if they throw out a grout on with the super sunny day effect water moves don't work they literally do nothing and it's it totally broke the meta because you pretty much had to have these two pokemon as well as a mega rayquaza in order to just neutralize all weather effects including those giant super weather effects that was the only way to neutralize the super weather effect was with mega rayquaza so you you literally had to run all three of these on your team or you were fucked yeah it and it was it was it super pissed me off cuz i did pretty good i would win like you know probably four out of five games you know roughly which is pretty decent for just online randos you know every now and then i would get really really hard teams that obviously these were those competitive kind of players but yeah then they were just like you don't have these three pokemon on your team you die it's it
3: yeah um <laughs> kind of all I want from a pokemon game is uh for every pokemon at least fully evolved um and maybe even limited exceptions where you have like pikachu holding the light orb hmm. can function as I- effectively stuff with
0: light and stuff powerful. like that yeah
3: yeah um but like if you had every pokemon theoretically balanced against one another it would kind of bring the game back to what it was in the 90s where, you know, you have to care about uh, a type advantage. You have to work uh, at developing a well-rounded spread um, rather than just this is the most optimized thing to do. Do it or you lose. Um, Yeah, because
0: that's kind of how the Because although there's a little bit of an excuse for them that i read in a game informer article actually was referring to the pokemon card game but i think it applies to a a lesser extent but it still applies to the pokemon main games that basically one of the developers of the card game was interviewed by game informer and they noticed that there is a big difference in pokemon cards printed now as opposed Mm -hmm. to printed like first edition like first edition charizard is worth a shitload of money but it sucks compared to normal cards now like oh, it yeah. is unplayably bad by today's pokemon tcg standards so i, I, think but, I made this
3: complaint with your typhlosion deck because i, I was so, just yeah.
0: like that is just <laughs> and, mathematically and now numerically my typhlosion deck better. is like nothing because i have my mega charizard <laughs> <laughs> but but the point of the story is in this interview he was basically like the game informer guy was like hey power creep is a thing what's up with that and he said basically in order to keep a card game like this relevant you have to either introduce power creep or make it ridiculously complicated Uh, And Magic has somehow managed to do both because every (laughs) fucking edition of Magic adds two or three new mechanics that go away and never come back again. And it's... It's annoying as hell. And I would almost, at that point, rather just have, like, more powerful cards, right?
1: But Magic has avoided it to some extent. Yeah. With the standard format, I guess.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they sometimes to my frustration they uh, do print a lot of cards that are like intentionally bad so that they don't disrupt the standard environment but then if you're drafting them so uh, you're you're cracking the packs and getting you're building your deck on the spot from <laughs> random card assignments uh you'll still get all of the key things um hmm. sometimes i do find it especially frustrating that they're like well here's Ravenous Chupacabra costs four, and it's uh, it it's a 2-2 creature that kills a creature when it enters. Or you could also get a more common card that is just kill a creature for four mana. Same cost, it's just you don't get a creature with uh, Impale. It's just a one-off kill spell. But that way, uh, in order to fill the draft environment with kill spells to remove your opponent's dangerous threats they have impale but in the standard environment they have ravenous chupacabra and then every now and again you get something that's a little bit off the wall and way more powerful than i think they even realize sometimes
2: um
3: (laughs) well yeah um... no
0: he wasn't the one that was banned i guess was Stoneforge, uh,
3: stoneforge mystic, mystic was, mystic the was banned was... right because but... the problem with stoneforge mystic is th- there was a, a five mana cost uh equipment called Batterskull skull that just generated i think a four four with like death touch and lifelink um mm-hmm. and then when it died you could pay three and return this to your hand and then recast it for five so that should be uh that, that should be 8 mana in total in order to recast it. Well, Stoneforge Mystic said you can pay 2 mana and tap it to uh, put uh, an equipment into play, so you could pay 2 instead of the 5. And also, when it entered play, uh, you would fetch an equipment from your deck, so you could fetch Batterskull, and just it mm. improved the reliability of that deck so hard that it, it was just virtually insurmountable. I have plenty of complaints about that. uh, uh, But, yeah, power creeps, sometimes it's a thing, and other times uh, I I like it when they print cards that are just different enough that there is a reason to consider them, even if it's not necessarily the most advantageous thing. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but I like trains. Do you? I like totals. Do you?
0: Do you want another beer?
2: Oh, no, it was Dan.
0: (laughs) Ginger ale, that's that's not quite beer.
3: Yeah, I have the root beer in bottles over there just in case I would have to crack any to keep up with you. You drink a lot of beer, laddie.
0: I mean, technically, I've only drunk like one beer so far, and and not quite. I'm I'm almost finished. Uh, so I guess we gotta cut this podcast off soon. At some but point. None of us I'll try to say something awkward. awkward.
1: We both
2: well, say let's awkward get at here. the same time.
0: Okay. That awkward.
1: You you, so, you guys so, haven't even seen the boss that sexually harasses his employees.